What happens when the most unlikely of heroes is tasked with stopping two rogue angels from entering an archway, thereby negating all existence? Join us this week as we discuss dogma and find the answer to this question. This is I Pierce the Toast. I'm Sean. And I'm AJ. Let's make some toast. Welcome back to I Pierce the Toast. AJ, where the fuck have we been? Oh my goodness. First of all, I just want to tell everyone, it's fucking IPTT. Okay? <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> no. you were about to launch into a serious <laughs> no. explanation of why we've been gone. No, no, no. We, uh, we've been gone for a minute. There's just been a lot of things that have happened. There's been some vacations. There's been some questions that have been asked and then answered. And one of us might be engaged, and one of us also might have a new tattoo. It's a bit a wild, crazy ride. Why don't you? Uh, why don't you tell our audience what your tattoo is, AJ? It is a uh, happy pizza toast. <laughs> <laughs> AJ sent me a photo of of a tattoo of a of a happy piece of toast, and I was like. There's no fucking way that's yours. There's no fucking way you did that. But no, he he went out and he. He's fucking committed to this goddamn bit, and I am, uh, I, I feel shamed by my lack of commitment, because I, I don't think I could go, I don't think I could go full balls like that. That's, it's fucking, it's goddamn inspiring is what it is. It's, it's, I love you toasticles, I really do, but the fact of the matter is, I love the picture of the happy piece of toast, and even if for some reason this ends, and this wild crazy ride we've been on, it just comes to a halt. I want something to remember it, and a happy piece of toast. You know, it's just, I always get to look at that and go, oh, I always have a slice of toast. I swear to fucking God. <laughs> Before we get into our main show, uh, AJ, you uh, you actually went and saw something in the theater, which was, and, and to preface, the SAG-AFTRA kind of uh, catching us up on the, uh, the strike, it is still ongoing. They have not asked for a consumer boycott yet. While AJ and I do discuss movies, uh, we don't have anything monetized yet. We're not officially working in the industry, so from a film perspective, since we generally talk about older films anyway, we would be considered more on the consumer side. AJ got a chance to see a film that's uh, being high, uh, getting high critical acclaim. So AJ, tell us about it. So me and my now fiance. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. We should mention that. Oh, yeah, that's why. Yeah. That's where the fuck we've been. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I got engaged. I did it on a beach. It's been great. But me and my fiance now went and we saw Oppenheimer because I got some movie tickets from work. I get a free pair of movie tickets every every year, and it's really nice. So I was like, you know, let's go see Oppenheimer. I've heard a lot of great things about this movie. Let's just go see it. Hold on, hold on. Did, did you say Oppenheimer? Yeah, op- Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. O- Oppenheimer. Not, not, Oppenheimer. Not Oppenheimer. They call him Opie. Yeah, that's what you do when a guy's name is Oppenheimer. But you don't call that doesn't because his name is Oppenheimer. No, I'm calling him Oppenheimer. I don't care what you say. Fucking, this is the Kim, what's her name? Backs, back, Basinger all over again. <laughs> God. What a fucking callback. <laughs> so tell me about Oppenheimer. So, all right, so fine. Oppenheimer. We'll talk about Oppenheimer. Um, so this movie was actually really great. You know, obviously it's about the famous doctor, Robert Oppenheimer, who was basically the father of the atomic bomb. You go in, when you go into detail, a lot of people say, oh, no, he created the atomic bomb. No, there were a lot of people that went into this. There was a lot of teamwork that was needed to create this bomb. And this movie details not only the creation of the atomic bomb, but also a lot of, I, don't, I guess, criticism he got because of his ties to the Communist Party, as well as like a linear kind of timeline that's going on with um, Robert Downey Jr.'s character, 
who is a person that's trying to be nominated to the cabinet of the presidency. I forget exactly which post mm, it's for. Sure. So you have a couple of linear timelines that are taking place in the future, and then it keeps calling back to whenever he's actually working on the bomb. Interesting. Yeah, I really want to see this one. I've, I've heard so many good things, and uh, I mean, hell, Killian Murphy. I mean, that's... Yeah. Uh, Killian Murphy, Matt Damon, um, Emily Blunt. I mean, sold. I mean, that, you, that, that cast alone, and you've already got me hooked. Let me fucking tell you really quick. I will never cover this movie because... This movie is like the Avengers Endgame of fucking actors that are in this movie. I oh, literally wow, really? was sitting there and I was like, oh, yeah, Killian Murphy, Emily Blunt. Oh, Josh Hartnett. Okay, that's great. Josh fucking Hartnett yeah. is in this? Yeah. Like like 2000s heartthrob yeah. Josh Hartnett? Josh Peck is in this movie. Josh Peck is in this movie? I'm telling you, you you're going to sit Holy there and you're going to be like, this guy is in here? See, that's this what's weird to me. This guy is in here? Because Hartnett, I, I remember that he dropped off the scene for a while. Yeah. Because he, he didn't want to be the heartthrob. He didn't want to do all that. And, and he came back strong, but not in feature films. He went independent. So it's interesting that he's now in Oppenheimer because that's like that's kind of the culmination of what his intent was. He wanted to be taken seriously as a performer, and he knew he had to get away from that whole heartthrob, uh, you know, um, typecasting he was getting and and had to you know find his own footing and so that's just awesome that it's you know it's kind of come to fruition that's fantastic wait josh peck like the the guy from the kid from uh oh my god what is it called well we did uh spun he was in spun he was the guy that was at the uh the yeah door. but he was in the, he, the nickelodeon or, or yeah he uh, was Disney, in uh, drake and josh jake and josh yeah. or uh josh and drake yeah josh and no, drake it's, it's, it's drake and josh well yes but yes but still, that yeah. kid, he's <laughs> in this? Let, let me just tell you a few names really quick. Just because I'm not, I don't want to go through all the fucking cast. But Rami Malek, Jack Quaid, David, um, what's his name? Dash Milan. Uh, he was the polka dot man in Suicide Squad. Yeah, Gary yeah, yeah. Oldman. Gary Oldman's in this? Yeah. Dane DeHaan. Casey Wait, Affleck is in this movie. Are you sure it's Gary Oldman? Yes. Because sometimes you don't know that you're, no, you're it's like, I could be Gary, Gary Oldman. <laughs> Gary Oldman is such a good actor that I could be him and you don't even know it. Kenneth Branagh is in this movie. I don't know who that is. You know who Kenneth Branagh is? Stop looking at me like that. Who the fuck is he? he, well, he well, he's really known for like Shakespearean work, but he was also um, the Professor Lockhart in Harry Potter. Obviously, you don't know who that is. I watched the Harry Potter films. I just didn't memorize them like the rest if of the you population. Up, Scott Grimes is in the movie. Tony, Tony Gold, Goldwyn is in this movie. Wait, Tony Goldwyn. What do I know that one? Um, you would know him probably from Friday the 13th. You would also know him... Um, in the movie Ghost, he was the the antagonist in the Ghost. What, the, the, one guy, that ha- the, the guy, the guy that set relations. everything up to get the guy killed. Yeah. Okay. The one that's having relations. Oh my with god! His... What does he look like these days? Oh, Jesus. he kind of looks the same. I'm not gonna lie. Really? Looks the same yeah. as he did uh, when he was uh, trying to kill Patrick Swayze, huh? Yeah, kind of. Oh, good for him. <laughs> I'm just what? saying, like going into this, there are so many actors. Like you're you're literally gonna watch the movie and go, wait, what? What? He's in this? It's kind of crazy. There's someone that looks incredibly similar to Nathan Lane that me and my fiance were looking at. We're like, is that Nathan Lane? It looks really similar to him, but it's not Nathan Lane, unfortunately. Is it uh, Harvey Feinstein? No. Are you sure? <laughs> he doesn't look anything like Nathan No, he Lane. doesn't. But every time you do an impression of anybody, you, you turn into Harvey Feinstein. And it's my favorite thing about you. But it's not Harvey Feinstein. <laughs> <laughs> but moving, moving on, we're going to discuss the 1999 phenomenal movie, Dogma. And speaking of star-studded casts, oh my goodness, dear gracious. God! But before we get into that, AJ, what is this movie about? 
So this movie, very condensed, is basically about two angels that find a loophole to get back to heaven. They've been cast out, and now they know that, okay, we can basically become human and go back to heaven. Even though we've been kicked out, we can find our way back. We won't be angels, but that's okay. Well, that causes a bit of a problem because we find out in the movie that the entire universe is really based upon the fact that God is infallible, and to prove him wrong would be, as I said in my cold open, would negate the entire existence. So we have a ragtag band of heroes to try to stop these two angels from entering heaven. And it's, it's pretty great. So let's start from, let's start from the top here. Who do we have in this film? Well, first let's talk about the director. Cause he's also one of the stars in the movie, Kevin Smith. I'm not sure I'm familiar. Oh, I, you know, he's, <laughs> he's done a few movies that I think you might know. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a Kevin Smith film. I didn't like to be honest. Right, that's I, true. I mean, and, and, there's plenty of people that will tell you like, "Oh, Jersey Girl sucked." Go, go fuck yourself. I love Jersey Girl. I thought it was, I thought I it like was a, adorable. I thought it was heartwarming. Um, but yeah, I mean, other than, other okay, other than maybe like trying to bring Jay and Silent Bob back that one last time. I haven't was in, like, seen it yet. 2019, I think, is when it was, or something like that. That one, it was, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't an easy watch because it was just kind of like, yeah, we're really, oh, we feel like we're really going, yeah, we're really going through the motions here. But you know, it was nostalgic. It was fun. But aside from that, most of the view askew universe from the 1990s, we're talking, you know, Chasing Amy, Mallrats, Jay's Silent Bob, Jay and Silent Bob, Clerks, Clerk, of course. The There's thing that, so the, many. The one that started it all. Is Zach and Mary make a porno? Is that in? Because I know he did this. I don't know if it's in the same universe. Though. I don't know if that's considered the same universe. But uh, I mean, hell, I like that one too. Uh, He's actually got a movie that's upcoming soon that has nothing to do with the view askew universe that I'm super stoked about. It's called Moose Jaws. I think I'd heard about that one, yeah. It's literally about... We should probably preface something. Uh, for our audience members that aren't familiar, View Askew was the name of Kevin Smith's early production company. Yeah. And so a lot of the films kind of tied together with similar characters, specifically Jay and Silent Bob. Yes. Um, a, a kind of ragtag duo that I think AJ's probably going to touch on quite a bit uh, during this film because the, he, Dogma is also part of the View Askew universe. Yes. Um, they call so it the Buisk universe. The view, say that again. The Buisk universe. I am never going to get that yeah, fucking right. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say Kim Bassinger. You can't say Buisk universe. Buisk universe. Aluminium. So sorry to interrupt. Take me back to Kevin Smith. So that's. I mean, that's basically what you're going to know Kevin Smith from. All the Buisk universe. It's about you know all of the movies that he's created within that whole universe. That's what he's most well known. Four. Now he does have a producer that I guess has he's kind of worked hand in hand with on this. Scott Mosher. He was in a lot of the View Askew movies as well, and he was also nominated for an Academy Award. And I can't remember if he won or not, but he was nominated at least for the short film Salim Baba in 2007, and he co-directed the 2018 Grinch movie. I didn't particularly like that one, but he co-produced. Which that one, one was the 2018 Grinch? That wasn't the Jim Carrey one, was it? No, the 2018 one is the cartoon one. Oh, I, I guess think, I, I, I think, think it's Benedict Cumberbatch is the. Don't even think I've heard of this I, one. I can't remember who it is that does the Grinch on that. It, it wasn't good. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. Now we're going to move on to the actual cast. Now this is a very star-studded cast, and you know, on the episodes I do, I tend to go a little bit overboard, but you have to talk about all these characters because they do intertwine, and a lot of them are also in the other USQ movies. So there's a couple that I'll touch on as cameos, but the rest are going to be the actual main cast. 
First up, we have Linda Fiorentino as Beverly Sloan, who is the main lead in this role, or the main lead in this movie. You'll know her from Men in Black, The Last Seduction, Once More with Feeling. I never actually saw that last one, but that's a big one that she was in. I think I've only ever seen her in this and Men in Black. Uh, I think that's it. Well, that's actually kind of what got her the role, honestly, is that Kevin Smith saw her Men in Black and was very impressed. But then they had a falling out after this movie because he really just did not like her. Oh, really? Yeah. He, no, he didn't like working with her? He did not like working with her. She didn't like working with him. I guess, I don't know if it's, he, he thought that she was too stuck up. I don't know exactly what I it mean, was. I mean, that's probably part of the problem. I have to, and not not to disparage Kevin Smith, I, I think working on a Kevin Smith film would be a fucking uh, a blast, but I have to assume it's a little bit more lackadaisical. But that said, there were plenty of Kevin Smith projects after that. I didn't, I don't, I don't remember seeing her a whole nope, lot after wasn't. that. So. I'm not. I'm not going to place blame on her, but at the at the same time, it's like, well, you know, Hollywood's got a pretty good track record of not working with people when they become difficult and when they're not fun to work with. You know, so, that's that's the one thing you typically hear about. You know, stars who are time and again in hell, even Tom Cruise. Yeah, I mean, he's got his own set of problems, but you talk to anybody that's ever worked with him, you never hear anybody like, oh, what a prick. They're always like, oh yeah, total sweetheart, a lot of, real real fun to work with, very professional, but still likes to keep it light. And that's that's the kind of person you want. I mean, hell, that's the kind of person any of us exactly. wants to work with. The the problem that I think came into play was that after the movie was made, he did say in a couple different interviews that he wished that he would have just casted somebody else. And that kind of like led to very bad blood. And it wasn't until 2018 when he had his heart attack that he reconnected with her and apologized. You know who would have made the perfect person for that role i know we shouldn't be recasting this yet we should do that say that for another episode because this would be a great one to recast but you know it would have been perfect who's been in the fewest universe and they they've definitely shifted like with matt damon and, and ben affleck they've played wildly different roles in every film so it's totally fine it, uh, it's only jay and silent bob that have to be consistent so you know who i would have casted rosario dawson that would have been great. Yep. He's worked well she with She was too, too young at that time. She was. Yeah. yeah that, it would have been. Yeah. I think she, she was doing the, that movie, The Kids, at that time. Good oh, God. Yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. What's crazy to, to me, before we move on to the other roles, is that there were a lot of other actors that should have played different roles in this movie or just different casting altogether. Samuel L. Jackson was actually envisioned to play Rufus. Jillian Anderson from um, uh, X Files. Yeah, X Files was originally envisioned to play Bethany. Jason Lee, who Wait, he, Bethany, which one was Bethany? The main character. Oh, what we're talking about. Um, Jason Lee was actually supposed to play Loki, and we'll talk about who actually did get casted. But he was supposed to play Loki eventually, um, initially. Well, but that he, one makes sense because yeah. that's that's the thing. It's you got Jason Lee, uh, Ben Affleck, and Matt Damon in any Kevin Smith film. It's just kind of like okay, it doesn't matter what roles those three play. Get them in there somewhere, whether it's Jason Lee playing the, you know, the the lazy uh, anti-hero type guy in Mallrats with Ben Affleck trying to, you know, stick things in uncomfortable places on people. Um, or, you know, you're throwing uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck as uh, a couple of producers um, in, in a different film. You know, it's just, it doesn't yeah. matter. You just, you throw them in there and whatever sticks is, it, that that's good. Another thing that's kind of crazy, just before we, because there's a whole cast we have to get to, but there is one other crazier thing that I didn't know about. Did you know that Kevin Smith actually didn't even want to direct his own movie? He actually wanted to direct it, but he wanted somebody else to do it. A really good friend of his who also directed Spy Kids, Dust Till Dawn, and the whole Desperado um, 
series. I would not have liked this film as a Robert, Tarantino film. Robert Rodriguez. Oh, Robert Rodriguez. Wait. Yeah. Ro- Why did I think Tarantino did Dust Till Dawn? Oh, because he was in, in it. Dust, That's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah he's, because anytime he's in a movie, he's yeah. the fucking director. The Spy Kids. Spy Kids is what he did. In that case, yeah. Well, so I don't know, man. Uh, I don't I don't think I would have liked it as yeah. much either. Yeah. I don't know about you, but Dust Till Dawn was like two different fucking movies. I don't People rave about this thing. But I like Dust Till Dawn. It, it's fine. Don't get me wrong. I liked it in within the context of it, but you take Robert Rodriguez out of that and you throw him into this and it's like, it's a, that's a totally different fucking movie. The only reason that he didn't is because he knew how close this movie was to Kevin and he's like, no, you need to do this movie. Oh, so he's actually a really stand up guy. Oh, yeah. Fucking A. Good for you, Robert Rodriguez. All right. Not to say I don't think he would have done Dogma well, but uh, <laughs> would you, you wouldn't have done Dogma well and uh, I want you to do things like Dust Till Dawn and stick to that and Spy Kids. So let's move on to the next two leads that we have. We have Ben Affleck as Bartleby. You'll know him in Batman vs. Superman as Bruce Wayne. He was also in The Flash as Batman um, and Bruce Wayne. He was in Armageddon. We just talked about Armageddon. Yeah, we did. As AJ. Ha ha. Hey-o. That's your name. He was in Argo as Tony Mendez, which is one of my favorite movies. Oh, Argo. That's the... Oh, Argo. Yeah, now I'm thinking of... Uh, Argo's the one where he's playing the CIA. Yeah. Um, the guy that helped get the... Uh, the uh, yeah. host- Not the hostages, but the people that were hiding when there was the uprising in 1979 in Tehran. Yeah. Um, what was the one where he's like, he has autism, but he's a professional killer? What is that? Is that The Accountant? The Accountant. Yeah. Oh, good. I like that it's weird because like, nobody seemed to really like that film. I thought it was fucking I amazing. I love that movie. I thought it was crazy ass. Then you have Matt Damon as Loki. I'm not familiar with his work. Oh, not me, me either. You know? <laughs> that, you know, He wasn't in The Martian as Mark Watley. He wasn't in Born Identity as Jason Bourne. He definitely wasn't in Good Will Hunting as Will Hunting. And he definitely wasn't General Groves in the new... Oppenheimer. Oh, that's right. And he was in Oppenheimer. Holy shit. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. of course he was. <laughs> well, it's funny because halfway through Oppenheimer, we saw him on the screen. And my fiance was like, I hope no one has to rescue him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good job, AJ's fiance. Good good job, AJ's Beyonce. Uh, she's my Beyonce. She's your Beyonce. <laughs> um, the funny thing about the both of them is that Ben Affleck was reading for um, Chasing Amy and basically what happened is kevin smith says he summoned ben affleck to new jersey because it was ben affleck he was pretty unknown at the time he's like you could do that in those in those days so he summoned him to new jersey and he's like hey you know read for this chasing Amy bit but he's like you know that wasn't enough to really sate his appetite at that time so he was like you know i gave him dogma and then later on ben affleck called him back and was like you know amy is a cute picture and all but what i really want to do is bartleby and dogma Kevin was actually kind of pissed about that because he's like, I wrote this fucking role for you in Chasing Amy and you want dogma? But then he was cast and then he brought on uh, Matt Damon later on. That's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cruel. Cool it's actually funny because do you remember, I think it was Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back or maybe it was the, I can't remember. But do you remember the little scene where they're doing like, uh, it's it's uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck and they're doing Goodwill Hunting 2. Yeah. And they're hunting literally, season. And they literally make that, yeah, hunting season. And they literally make that joke where he's like, sometimes you do this, sometimes you do that. Sometimes you do it because your friend says you uh, you owe him. And they both look at the camera because they're talking <laughs> about Kevin Smith. <laughs> what I really like about this is that like right before Goodwill Hunting came over, like before it came out, Kevin Smith was actually watching the dailies from Goodwill Hunting. He's like, okay, Ben Affleck has recommended Matt Damon. Let's bring da- Matt Damon on. During the f- like the actual filming for this and before the actual release of the movie, Goodwill Hunting came out, and everyone knows how well that movie fucking did because 
I don't think Kevin Smith would have been able to afford Matt Damon after this. Yeah, yeah. All right, now we're going to bring in the late, the great Alan Rickman as the Metatron. I, my personal favorite role, everyone loves the other role, but I loved him as Harry in Love Actually and as Hans Gruber in Die Hard, but most people will know him as Severus Snape, Professor Severus Snape in Harry Potter. I'm actually trying to think of the roles I like really identify with him, and it's it's not I mean, obviously Hans Gruber. Like, like like it's iconic at this yeah. point. Uh, you know, it, there's there's a yearly decision or a yearly discussion on whether or not Die Hard is a Christmas movie. It is, and you can't have that discussion without talking about Hans Gruber. So there's that, but he's been in just so much. I think that, I like every single role he's been in. I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of uh, something where I thought he was in a bad role. It's like, he just, he just doesn't. He quickly down under or quickly, quickly be down under. I don't know that one. Oh, that's a good one. What is it? It basically, he plays this antagonist in fucking Australia where like an American, um, I forget who plays Quigby, but he comes to, um, Australia and he's like a sniper and he plays the, he plays the antagonist of him. He's like this guy that's obsessed with the old West. It's a really good movie. Dig it. So he's Metatron in this Yeah, movie. he's Metatron. Okay. All right. And we're, we'll I'm, figure out who the Metatron is. Yeah. And we're going to talk about who everybody is, but obviously so far we've got uh, our main female protagonist. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got our two angels, uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, and they're the ones that are going to, that are kind of causing the, the turmoil that is what have you. And now we've got uh, Alan Rickman is our Metatron, who is another angel. Another angel, and what's 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 his main, you know, mo- what's his main motivation in this film? He's be? just the voice of God, the voice of God, and so he's got to be the the basically the person that speaks for God. Because if anyone hears God speak and you're a human, your brain's gonna explode. I think he says they went through like five atoms before. The- <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Like we went through five atoms before we figured that out. <laughs> in his classic Rickman voice, uh, who else we got? You got George Carlin, who also is the late great. He died the late great George Carlin, yeah. yes. He and and who's he playing? Cardinal Ign- Ignatius Glick. He's not a super big role in the movie, but he's a catalyst in this movie. He's another. He's he's another kind of like Jason Lee. You know, uh, you you always have to throw him in there because he always he always found a way to get George Carlin in, which oh, I yeah. love. And hell, he was in uh, uh, Jersey Girl as well. He played he's also uh, Jane Silent Bob. Yeah, he, and he played you know he, in Jersey Girl. He played uh, Ben Affleck's father and. He was actually really endearing as a grandfather. Like you would never think of Carlin in that role, but like he's just this old Irish Catholic Kennedy loving grandfather, and it somehow worked. I, I don't know how the fuck they pulled it off. See, I actually had a different in- indoctrination of Carlin. I the first thing I saw him in was Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. As oh Ruthless. God, me too. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so I like li- I didn't know anything about his comedy growing up until I started listening to it way down the line. I was like, oh, he's a filthy son of a bitch. He's an amazing son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. For for our audience members, if you've never listened to Carlin's um, uh, stand up, if if you I can to give you a modern day comparison. Interestingly enough, uh, Liza Schlesinger is a good comparison where she does her very long strings of consciousness. I mean, they're planned, but they have kind of a strings of consciousness feel to them where a lot of things are rattled off and they kind of play off each other and they kind of just, you know, kind of morph and continue and they all, and they all just kind of create this really big elaborate picture. And it's this incredible word salad. That was what Carlin was famous for. And he would just go on these like, you know, 15 minute long stretches of rants that were absolutely fucking brilliant. And I'm not talking rants like, Oh, that's boring. They are so compelling, so fun to listen to. And, and you're just, he just knew how to like tether 
with the laughs to like mm-hmm. kind of bring it into some seriousness. And here's a little laughs, and we're gonna kind of bring it back down and talk about this. And now we're gonna bring it back up again, and then we're gonna come back down. His his timing and his inflection. It was just, it was unmatched. He's a master of his craft. We're going to kind of rattle some stuff off now because we do got to get into the plot. But these are people that you know very well. Jason Mewes as Jay. He played Jay in a lot of Kevin Smith movies. He plays but, Jay in all of Kevin yeah, Smith yeah, movies. Yeah. <laughs> my fa- no, that's not true because my one of my favorite roles he did was in Zack and Miri where he played Lester the Molester Cock and Stuff. Oh, God, yeah. He was <laughs> yeah. the poor, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a good point. He was, fucking Christ, Jay Mewes. He was actually terrified during the filming of this movie. He memorized everybody's lines, the entire dialogue on this, because Kevin Smith told him you have to be on your best behavior. And he didn't want to piss off that Rickman guy, so he memorized everything to be on his P's and Q's. Oh my god, that's adorable. Yeah. Like, I he love was that, so scared. Because I love that, because it's just, you get this impression of, you know, from the films that Jay is just this lazy, pot-smoking fuckhead, and he's not! Like, Jay Muse is not that guy at all. He's a very, he's a very dedicated, like, professional. He's just been typecasted, that's all. Well, he was a druggie for, I mean, I'm not gonna say druggie, but he was addicted to drugs for a while, and there's a couple things that have happened. He's finally off drugs, but he's he's doing really well for himself. But he did have a period where he wasn't on drugs. Did not know that. But good for Jay Muse. Good for him for, for getting clean. And uh, I mean, and still, he's done some amazing work over oh, yeah. there. So, you know, uh, drugs aside, he's, he's still an incredible individual. And we have Chris Rock as Rufus, the 13th Apostle. He, he's the 13th Apostle. Where, where will we know Chris Rock from, AJ? I know him from CB4 as Albert Brown and MC Gusto. Where will our where will our younger audience in the more recent history know Chris Rock from AJ? You'll probably either know him from Grown Ups or Madagascar. No, AJ. You you do you tell our audience where they'll know him from. Oh, you mean when he got slapped by <laughs> Will Smith? <laughs> I hate fucking laughing about it, but it's like that's the most recent thing he's famous for is he got fucking slapped by Will Smith on stage. That's that's on the Oscars. Yeah, it's so, unfortunate because he's he's done some great movies. So try not to think about the slap when you watch this one. That's a good point. And this is remember, this is twenty years twenty years ago. Oh my god. Oh that, that that hurts. But this is over twenty years ago, and Chris Rock was a very different individual then. He was he was a a, a, a stand up comedy legend. He was in several, you know, he's in lots of feature films. He was a, a fairly big star. This was kind of, this was kind of in the middle of Chris Rock's era, the Chris Rock era. Oh, yeah. What's kind of funny to me is that Jason Mewes, who we, who we just talked about, loved the movie CB4 that Chris Rock was in. And Chris Rock actually got the role after he was talking to Harvey Weinstein, which unfortunately this is a Weinstein film, which also leads to what we'll talk about later when we talk about the streaming of this movie on why it's very, 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 very hard to find. As well as the potential for a sequel as well. Exactly. Correct? Yeah. But basically he was talking to Harvey Weinstein because Harvey was a big name and still is a big name, unfortunately, but he was a really big name in Hollywood. And he was like, hey, you know, do you have any movies? Because Harvey Weinstein opened, like offered him this like rapper on a bus kind of thing. And he was like, no, what's Kevin Smith up to? And after hearing that Sam Smith turned down the role, he kind of joked about it in an interview where he was like, yes, Sam, Sam Smith um, was going to, he didn't want to take take scale, which is basically means the minimum rates um, set by SAG. And so he's like, you know, I was offered it after Sam Smith said fuck no to this movie. And sorry, I, I think you may have mentioned it, but just in case, uh, who does he play in this? The 13th Apostle. Rufus. The 13th Apostle. I, uh, my... My Catholic dogma is a little fuzzy. Uh, I seem to remember there's only 12 apostles, AJ. Well, you know what? We'll find out in this movie that there's a 13th. (laughs) (laughs) 
Who else we got? We got Jason Lee as the demon Azrael. Uh, and what are we going to know Jason Lee from outside of this film? Pickle fucker. <laughs> Pickle fucker. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, he's he's in a lot of the View Askew movies. Was that Clerks 2? Yeah. <laughs> Pickle fucker. <laughs> what else are we going to know him from? He was in Alvin and the Chipmunks. Of course. Good one. He was in Dreamcatcher as Beaver. I don't know if you remember that. I do remember because he was talking about how he, uh, he would get tail at Bingo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I loved him in that movie. Um, wasn't he also, uh, what was that show he was in for a while where he, he played the guy that like lost the lotto ticket so he realized... My name he, is Earl. My name is Earl. Yeah. yeah. God, that was kind of, that was fairly long running, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah quite a few seasons. Um, and it's funny, the guy that was in that with him, the big guy, uh, he was also in um, Mallrats. Mm? So yeah, just a little tie together there as well. This is the last of the main cast, and then we're just going to get into some cameos. We have Selma Hayek as Serendipity, who is also known as the Muse. She was in From Dust Till Dawn. <sighs> yeah, she was in Dust Till Dawn. She was in Santa. Uh, she was Santa Santa Nico Pandemonium. She was also in Frida as Frida, and she was in Desperado as Carolina. Oh, that's my favorite one. God, I love that movie. It's it's weird. I've gone back and I've rewatched, and it's not a great film uh, in retrospect. But, I love Desperado. But go back and rewatch it. Oh, I have recently. Really? I watched I, all three of them. I re I just rewatched it probably this year, and I was like, God, this isn't a great film because it's just it's it's kind of clunky. It's but better I, than the El Mariachi. Oh yeah, well yeah, because El Mariachi didn't have and didn't have the funding Desperado did, but, and then Desperado and the Once Upon a Time in Mexico. After Once Upon a Time in Mexico yep. with Johnny Depp. Yep. Um, but. Even even with it not being the great film that I remember it being, uh, still a totally enjoyable experience. Still a lot of fun to watch, and just that scene where he's you know just the 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 hands come up and the the, the guns, guns pop up. out. <laughs> oh my fucking god, that's still so badass. All right, so now I'm just gonna go through these side character cameos really really quick um, because I mean they they are integral to the story. You have Bud Court who is invaded from Mars and Coyote Ugly as John Doe Jersey. Who's you'll find in the beginning? <laughs> that that John Doe Jersey bandit. <laughs> you have Janine Garofalo as Liz, who actually, whenever Kevin Smith said that he wished that he would have casted somebody else, he says he wished he would have casted Janine Garofalo as Beverly. You know what? I'm going to change my answer. Um, I say, yeah, Janine Garofalo. That's that's an amazing casting, and hell, the character was practically Janine Garofalo as a person anyway. Oh yeah. So, yeah, that would have been an amazing casting. I, I think that would have been a way better direction to go. And she's absolutely stunning. Um, I 100%. Oh, yeah. Like, watching the movie, I was like, I told my fiancé that, uh, yeah, she she's on the list for sure. And don't get me wrong, Uma Thurman is a very beautiful woman. But when I watched The Truth About Cats and Dogs, I was I was Team Garofalo all the way. I was like, no, 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 that's that's the hot one. The other one's Uma Thurman, and that's fine, but Janine Garofalo is the hot one. That's what I thought Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I was like, no, it's Michelle. No, it's it's, it's, it's her. Michelle. It's her. <laughs> um, but you also know her from Mystery Men. If you've never seen that, that's another one we definitely have to cover. Then you have Brian O'Hallorhan. The only reason I'm really talking about him is because he plays like a news reporter. But his name is Grant Hicks, who also plays Dante Hicks in Clerks. Oh, right. I forgot. Yeah. Yes, of course. Dante, the, the guy who plays Dante has to make his uh, his appearances yeah. in these films because he's another one of those like 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 George Carlin or, uh, you know, Jason Lee. Like even if it's going to be a bit role, he's got to be in everyone. Just like Randall, who I'm going to talk about right now. Jeff Anderson, he plays a gun salesman in there. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Now, the only reason I'm going to talk about these next ones is because they are kind of integral to the plot. There is Barry Hackney, who is in um, Munch Adventureland. There was, sorry, he was in Munch and then Adventureland. And then there was... Wait, so who, who does he play in this film? Uh, he's one of the Stygian twins. Stygian twins? Yeah, the, the roller skating... Oh, the roller kissing yeah. demons. Okay, yeah. got it, got it. Okay. Then there's Jared Feffingworth, who is in Zack and Mary. Didn't know that. And who does he... Is he with the other twin? Yeah, he's one of the other twins. Okay. And then Katao Sakurai, uh, Sakurai, which is very interesting to me. I didn't know that he moved on to directing. He became a director, and he worked on the Eric Andre show, and he's also directed two of the episodes of the new Twisted Metal movie, or uh, Twisted Metal show. Oh, I actually just finished that entire series. Phenomenal. Like, is I, it I, really? I, I thought it was going to be really goofy. It is. It, it is goofy, and it's not, it's not like, you know, like super, like, top-tier quality. It's not Oppenheimer, but it's a lot of fun, and it's it's neat how they they integrated the the game, because obviously it's based off the game. And it's just it's just neat how they how they went about it. I, I I really enjoyed it. Now before we move into the actual plot, there is a lot that went into this movie. I didn't know this, but he had actually started writing this movie way before Chasing Amy. But it didn't come out till after Chasing Amy or Mallrats even. And I think he wrote this before Mallrats. But he said that he actually started writing this before he started Clerks as well. So it was originally called God, and he would periodically go back to it, and he removed details like Jane Silent Bob, like he included them later on. He changed Bethany from being a stripper, um, who her role in this movie is she actually works in an abortion clinic. And Bethany was supposed to blow up the church at the end of this movie. There was a orangutan that was supposed to hang around with Jane Silent Bob. There was so much that he just kept changing because he's like, you know, I, I want this to be basically like his his like his piece de resistance. Piece like de resistance, this, got yeah. it. Now, I have the special edition of the DVD, which you definitely should go own. It's very expensive right now, actually. To that buy was the most DVD. bougie white guy thing you've ever said. It, hey, I actually own the special edition DVD. Hey, <laughs> I, I do. Do you own the special edition? Go fuck yourself. Then shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a booklet um, that it actually has an essay that Dave, or uh, that Kevin Smith wrote. It's called "The Beginning: the The Beginning, the Story of Dogma," and he mentions that he was raised a Catholic and that. Due to his unbridled appreciation of God and for dick and fart jokes, he wanted to spread the word of God <laughs> in his own way. Of God and dick and fart jokes. Yeah. Like those all go together. <laughs> well, it's funny because then he goes on to say the key difference between spreading the word of God and spreading the word of the church can be summed up thusly. The church is a shoddy house that was built upon the perfect earth. I'm not saying that the church is bad. I'm saying that it was built by men and women. And because of this, it's weak and frail. The earth and... The earth, on the other hand, is organic and natural, strong and durable, like God. And so I didn't know that he was actually a Catholic. I was about to say, I would have, based off that film, I would have taken him for a staunch atheist. No, he, he was actually a Catholic. Like, he went to he went to um, Mass every Sunday. He was, like, a very staunch Catholic. But he felt that, like, the church was not portraying... They weren't spreading the word of God that he thought that they should. Because he's like, you know, this is the church. I don't really care about the church. I care about the religion. And what's kind of crazy to me is that later on down the line, there were a lot of protests for this movie. And Kevin Smith um, showed up at one of the protests to the movie. Wait, like, like he showed up like to, to give the protesters what for? No, he just kind of blended in with them. He gave them a, a different name. It was like Brian or something like that. What, gave who? 
yeah, the, the reporters because it, it was you could actually view this yeah you could you, you can view this uh this whole scenario take place where they're like watching this protest happen and you see kevin smith kind of poke out and he's like basically just fucking kind of picketing his own movie <laughs> wait what? so he was there just like oh yeah this movie's awful we should shut this down oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> fuck ass i love it <laughs> And later on down the line, William Donahue of the Catholic League, he lambasted the film. He, you know, he said that this movie was a piece of shit, essentially. No one should go see it if you're a good Catholic. Wait, and did he actually use the word piece of shit? No, he didn't say it. He oh, okay. Didn't say it. But, you know, <laughs> it's, it's like, yeah. <laughs> true Catholic He's part of the Catholic, Catholic League. <laughs> and what's kind of funny to me is he actually said all this without actually seeing the movie. So when he asked to see the the movie, he actually asked for a special screening of it to talk about the movie with Kevin Smith. He wanted to speak about it intelligently. So Kevin Smith was like, so what has he been doing for the past six months? <laughs> what a tool. So now we're going to actually go into the movie itself. I'm going to throw in some more fun facts along the way, but that's pretty much the beginning of this movie in a nutshell. He really just made this as a ode to joy, if you will. hey Which is how we kind of segue into this, because we start out with a smiling old man humming Ode to Joy. He's staring off in the pier, and he's in front of the skee-ball sign, just enjoying himself. He's attacked by three hockey stick-wielding hooligans on roller skates. And then we are introduced to Cardinal Glick, who is explaining to a crowd of the reporters that the Catholicism, wow, with an exclamation point campaign, will start working on how changing everyone's views of God and the Catholic faith and they basically want to make it kind of a friendlier, happier religion. So he unveils a statue that will be placing the crucifix, and it's called the Buddy Christ. It's basically just Christ winking and giving a thumbs up, which is hilarious. He's like, look at it. Doesn't it pop? <laughs> like, Doesn't it just pop? <laughs> so Buddy Christ. Great. Oh, God, we miss you, Carlin. <laughs> so the, it kind of goes pretty quick when they're introducing characters. The longest introduction we really have is where we meet the angel Loki, who is walking through an airport and he's explaining to a nun that he doesn't believe in God based on the walrus poem. Uh, walrus and the carpenter. Yeah. yeah. The walrus and the carpenter poem in the, through the looking glass in through the looking glass. He convinces her to abandon his faith and Bartleby, who is another angel is just sitting there looking at him and he laughs and he's like, you know, I don't know why you do this. You have seen God. You've been in his presence you spoke he's spoken to you personally and loki says he just likes fucking with the clergy <laughs> he and then tells bartleby that he doesn't understand why bartleby enjoys watching people at the airport and bartleby just says that it's humanity at its best and he explains that like while they're kind of staring off they see this this kind of uh girlfriend and boyfriend hugging and he's like look at that the girlfriend actually cheated on him while the guy was away but he's like you know it doesn't matter at this moment because it's kind of a perfect moment and Loki just looks at him and gives him this really like, oh my God, what? why are we here? Look. So he asked Bartleby, why are we here? Why did you call me down to this airport? And Bartleby shows Loki a newspaper clipping that states that Cardinal Glick is hosting a rededication ceremony for the St. Michael's Church and through a little known Catholic belief known as plenary indulgence that offers anyone that goes through its archway absolution, which basically means that all of your sins are forgiven. Loki's confused because he's like, what does that mean? Because, you know, we're angels. And Bartleby explains that if they cut off their wings and become human, they will trans transubstantiate mm -hmm. and they will become human. And all their sins will be forgiven and they can go to heaven. Then they say that they can't keep them out at that point. Loki says, you know, this is church law. It's not divine mandate. And they 
can't like it doesn't matter because it, the laws are created by man and then bartleby then says remember that the first pope peter who was told by jesus that whatever is held true on earth will also be tr uh, held true in heaven which meaning that whatever the church decrees due to dogmatic law will be upheld in heaven and let it never be said that your anal retentive attention to detail never yielded positive results. You can't be anal retentive if you don't have an anus. Outstanding work! And we probably should also just note real quick, uh, as weird as this might be, if you don't remember the 1990s, um, this is pre-2001, uh, the 9-11 attack. So this idea that they're just sitting in the airport, and they're at the terminal, like they're at like where yeah. the planes take off, it's it's something you used to be able to do. You used to, as long as you went through security, you didn't have to have a ticket. You could just go through security and go hang out in the airport. And people, it used to be kind of a thing. Like you go to the airport bar, it was totally a thing. Um, so that's that's why they're able to be doing that. Mm. That's why they're able to just go into the airport and go hang out at the terminal and watch people as they arrive. Can't really do that anymore. No, can't do that now. Now there's a brief conversation where Loki. You kind of get an uh, inkling here that Loki kind of has a a penchant for killing people because he says that he wants to kill all the board members of this group responsible for creating Mubi the Golden Calf. And who why is, do they want to kill Mubi people from Mubi the Golden Calf? They want to kill him because it's you know it's idolatry. <laughs> it's it, you know it's it's worshiping idols, which is something that you know, it's not really. And I'm, I'm trying to think from the 1990s what what would be the comparison here? Um, McDonald's. Would it be McDonald's? Maybe. Uh, yeah, I guess maybe yeah. McDonald's. Um, golden calf, golden arches. Golden calf, golden arches. But I was also kind of thinking like, you know, Mubi itself became this character that was actually in cartoons. So I don't know. Maybe it was more adjacent to, I don't want to say Pokemon because I don't think Pokemon was really a thing yet. Maybe uh, more like uh, Saturday morning cartoons. I don't know who would yeah, be the big Saturday morning yeah, cartoons. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, so, like maybe like a Bugs Bunny character, but that's a, that's even a little too early for 1990. I, I, I would think if you're going to go anything, you would have to go Mickey Mouse because Mickey Mouse. There you go. Yeah, Disney yeah. There you go. Like so, so think of like a crossover between Mickey Mouse and uh, the Gold uh, McDonald's because yeah. it was also a restaurant, which we then later get more of in Clerks Two, because Randall and Dante go from working as clerks in a convenience store to, to working at movies. Working at movies. <laughs> now, the reason I have to talk about this is because along the way, they are talking about getting back in God's graces, and Loki thinks that by killing these people, he's going to get back in God's graces, because God loves that. For sure, yeah. God, God's always been a big fan of that. <laughs> big fan of uh, mass murder. We then get introduced to Bethany, who we meet attending mass, and she's looking very bored. Like, she really doesn't want to be there. We find out that she works in an abortion clinic that is frequently protested and she explains that she feels empty when she goes to church when she's talking to her friend liz and she misses the feeling she has as a kid whenever the church excited her liz uses the analogy of a cup being filled as a kid but then the cup gets bigger but not getting any more filled because of the way that faith because is not the same kid. amount of liquid you need more faith more yeah. more of it yeah bethany realizes that that's really just liz telling that bethany needs to get filled in more ways than one I see what you did there. Yeah, yes, it's, it's penis. <laughs> <laughs> we then get a small glimpse of the demonic figure Asriel, who gives us one of my favorite lines of all time. After he kills a random woman, because he, you know, he he goes to her house and he asks her about her her coolant and asks her if she has central air. You don't really know why, and he says that he's part of the EPA and he's checking for freon leaks. So he says, you know, do you have central air? She's like. Yeah, and then he kills her, and then he says my favorite line of all time. 
No pleasure, no rapture, no exquisite sin greater than Central Air. He's not wrong. Yeah, it's pretty great. (laughs) We find out that he's the boss of the three demonic skaters from the beginning, and he mentions that the powers, quote-unquote, will contact the last scion, and they need to find her and kill her. Now, before going to bed one night, we get another glimpse at Bethany. She's praying, and then she goes to sleep, and then she sees this flaming creature in the corner of her room just shouting, Behold the Metatron, voice of the one true God! Behold the Metatron, voice of the one true God! And she freaks out. She uses a fire extinguisher to put the flames out, which greatly pisses this creature off, who's revealed to be Alan Rickman or Alan Rickman, the Metatron. She asks what he is, and in the process of explaining that he is an angel and that he's also ill-equipped, which basically means that he's flat in front like Ken. Now, why why did he have to note that though? He had to note that because she asked if he was going to rape her. Oh, he said. Don't give over, will you? I couldn't rape you if I wanted to. Angels are ill-equipped. See? I'm as anatomically impaired as a kendo. He tells her that he is Metatron, the voice of the, uh, a voice of God. Metatron acts as the voice of God. Any documented occasion when some Yahoo claims that God has spoken to them, they're speaking to me. Or they're talking to themselves. To prove that he is an angel, he transports them to a small Mexican restaurant to get tequila. Because he's like, there's only one place you can get a good tequila. Right, because she asks, like, uh, where are we? He says, the only place you can get a decent tequila. And, of course, she thinks that means Mexico. But it's actually... It's, like, right down the street from her house. She's like, Mexico? And he's like, actually, a little bar around the corner. But uh, it's it's impressive nonetheless. (laughs) It's pretty pretty. Now, Metatron then lays it on bethany and he says that he needs her help to stop a couple of angels entering a church and thus negating all existence and she's like what because the way he said it he's like stop cutting stop a couple of angels for entering a church and therefore negating all existence and then she's like what did you just say he's like stop a couple of angels from entering the church and thereby negating all existence do i have to spell it out for you <laughs> he gets upset he then goes on to tell her, like, basically the whole reason that Loki and Bartleby are here on Earth is that Loki used to be the angel of death, and while he was celebrating killing all the firstborn in Egypt, which also pisses the Metatron off because then she knows what he's talking about, and he gives us this great line. Now, he explains that after some drinks, quite a few of them, Bartleby, who is what's called a watcher, and he's like, guess what they do? What? Basically, they just watch people. Oh, okay. <laughs> he convinces loki to lay down his sword and loki very inebriated gives god the finger and then is expelled from heaven with bartleby this messes everything up for the rest of the angels because they can no longer drink which pisses everyone off so you'll see angels if they're angels in the movie they'll take sips of whatever alcohol they are then they'll just spit it (laughs) so does bethany take this mission on immediately is she just like oh yeah sure i'm sold let's do this no because she she kind of Goes back and forth with them, and she says that, you know, why should she do anything that God really wants her to do? Because she had something happen where she had an infection in her her womb, I guess, and it caused her to become barren, and her husband left her. And she's like, you know, why should I do anything for you? If God has a plan for me, why wasn't that plan good? 
are good enough for for God. Now, Metatron does stress to her that the reason that they absolutely cannot make it to the church and get redeemed, because she does kind of say, well, you know, they found a way to do this. Good for them. Good for them. Right. He says that if they were to do this, they would prove God wrong. And the entire universe is based upon one fact. God is infallible. And to prove him wrong would to unmake all existence. So after they have a little tete-a-tete, I think is what it's called. I think that's uh, actual, head-to-head, yes, tete-a-tete. Uh, tete-a-tete. <laughs> I know words. hey <laughs> um, And she you know, gives that, sp- that speech basically about what happened to her husband and the plan. He tells her to suck it up. And although he can't force her, he says that she won't be alone. And if she chooses to do this, that two prophets, in a manner of speaking, will help her along the way. One who speaks at great length and the other is a silent type. He then tells teleports her back home and he lets her keep the maracas that he had at the restaurant. <laughs> One thing I, I always found interesting about this part from a from an actual ser- pretty serious perspective, not to get too deep into philosophical problem of evil trilemma uh, talk here, but, you know, th- typically when you're talking about the problem of evil, which is that, you know, uh, God is all powerful. God is um, all loving and yet evil exists and you're supposed to try to contend that trilemma and that's where you get certain like theories like the 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 free will theory what have you and there's this this interesting play they've done here where instead of saying god can't be wrong what they're saying is there is a potential that god could be wrong but if that were to happen it would undo existence. So it's like they leave room for it, which is interesting because that goes incredibly against Catholic dogma. This idea, because within Catholic dogma, that you know, God being God is infallible. He is, he is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He is, he is all. So it would be, it would be uh, just a, a a complete fallacy to even suggest so. So I love that they take this route of what if he could be wrong. But there's a consequence instead. Not that it's not; com- it's completely impossible, but that it's possible. But there's consequences, mm-hmm. and and I love that how that sets the stage for this. My favorite thing about this little scene right here is when you find out that the reason that Alan Rickman took this role is that Kevin Smith had reached out to them because he heard that um, Alan Rickman was a Chasing Amy fan. Sent him the script. Alan Rickman came back with exactly two questions: Were the wings real? or CGI, and would the dialogue be kept the same? Only questions he had, to which Kevin Smith said, well, the wings are going to be both um, CGI, or uh, they're going to be like basically CGI and uh, pragmatic. And then they're also either going to stay as true to the script as they could. And then Alan Rickman said that he would. That's badass. And then Jason Mewes was so scared of him, but Alan Rickman has been known to be a goofball. So the maracas in the scene, he kept and were just playing around with them all day, just driving everyone insane. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's hilarious. Oh, Rickman, you goofy bastard. We love you. One night when Bethany is coming out of work, she is met by three Stygian triplets who we've already determined are very bad demons. Bad demons. On roller bad. skates. They attempt to Wait, kill her. You're saying roller skates. All right, roller blades, blades right? Roller blades. They run roller blades. Roller, skates, roller blades skates. were cool in the '90s, and these were supposed to be the cool bad boys of the demon world. So they they were on roller blades, so sir. They were on roller blades. They come to kill her. They fail because they are stopped by our prophets. Snoots to the motherfucking dude. Jay and Silent Bob who kicked the shit out of the triplets and then sent them on their way. 
Now they introduce themselves and then they ask Bethany if she wants to have sex with them. Because why not? Yeah. Because it's Jay and Silent Bob. And then they get pissed off whenever she turns them down and then they proceed to leave. And then Jay's like, you know, I could go back to Jersey and make myself a prophet. And she looks up and you hear Alan Rickman's voice kind of go, two prophets, two of them. She's like, you got to be kidding me. Oh, but that that's there's something specific that he says, though. It's um, they will identify themselves as such. Yeah. And that's why it, it rings in her head, because she goes, I could go back to Jersey and make myself a profit. And he's talking about making making monetary yeah. profit. But she obviously hears that and realizes that's how they've, quote unquote, identified themselves as profits, which is hilarious. Yeah. I love the little play on words there. I thought it was great. It's super funny to me because he's like, they're profits in a manner of speaking. <laughs> so it's like, okay. <laughs> Now, the next scene that we see is after Jay mentions himself uh, being a prophet, Bethany then asks them to go to dinner. We then see Loki and Bartleby buying a gun because they have to start the killing spree some way. He doesn't have a flaming sword anymore. And they I have a... I was about to say, doesn't Matt, isn't Matt Damon even making commentary about that while he's yeah. buying the gun? He's like, it just doesn't have the same... Uh, the same what, what is the word he uses? doesn't have the same uh, effect as a flaming yeah, sword a flaming or something sword. to that effect something to that uh that effect yeah and then it, it's kind of funny because bartleby then downplays the way that loki performed his his task before because he's like you know mass genocide is an endurance trial yeah, an endurance <laughs> trial and he's like you know it's the single most taxing sport that you can do aside from soccer next to soccer yeah next to soccer <laughs> And so the the gun salesman's looking at him as they're talking about this mass genocide they're about to complete, and then like what? <laughs> and then it just goes back to Bethany and um, Jane the Bob. They're talking in a diner. They're talking about why they're even in Illinois. They're talking about how they saw all these movies that were by John Hughes. It's like Sixteen Candles, all that kind of stuff that happened in a town called Shermer, Illinois. Sure. And then they get pissed off because there is no Shermer in Illinois. But why did they want to go to Shermer, Illinois, though? Because Silent Bob is a crybaby and really wanted to get his. Well, no, I thought it was because Jay was saying that they were were going to try to be the drug hookup because nobody was selling. Yeah, and they have a lot of (laughs) loose women there. And so they find out that there is no Shermer in Illinois. They get pissed off and they were going to head back to Jersey. Fucking John Hughes. Now. Bethany thought about it for a second, but then she realizes that these are the so-called prophets that the Metatron told her about. She asked them to take her with them to New Jersey. Jay, thinking Bethany wants to have sex with him, agrees. Now, Jay decides that he wants to drive, and he asked her, and she's like, you know, sure. But then he manages to break the fucking car down because he doesn't know anything about shifting. And I was about to say, he doesn't, know, yeah, he doesn't know how to drive a stick. <laughs> like, at one point, she's like, what gear are you in? And he's like, gear? <laughs> And then when the car breaks down, he's like, what the fuck do I know about shifting? What do I know about shifting? <laughs> now, by morning and stranded in the middle of nowhere, Bethany's just about to head home when a mysterious man falls out of the sky and lands on the roof. I'm sorry. Did you say a man falls out of the sky? Yeah, a man falls out of the sky. Just just a dude drops from the fucking air. Yeah. Just and he's, drops he's alive. Air. This guy turns out to be Rufus. Um, Rufus, who identifies himself as the 13th Apostle. And again, AJ, I, I thought there were only 12. There are only 12 apostles. But as Rufus states that the only reason he was left out was because I'm a black man. But you know what? That's just my pet peeve. I'm mainly here to correct a major error that you people have been basing the faith on. What's that? Jesus wasn't white. Jesus was black. Which, which is hilarious because that wouldn't have really been a, a concept at the time. Like if anybody listens to Dan McClellan on... Uh on tiktok at all uh, talk about this stuff 
that that, that just wasn't conceptualized yet. That didn't really come about until later, and mm-hmm. you know when when Europeans really started to kind of flourish. So it's just it's it's funny, and and obviously Kevin Smith knew this. He just thought it was a great gag to have Chris Rock on there talking about they left me out of the Bible because I'm black. <laughs> it was funny to me is because he says that he came he really came back to clear up one big detail that Jesus is actually black. And then she's like, wait, you know Jesus? And he's like, yeah. And if you watch, I'm not going to say the word, but if you watch the edited version of this movie, he says, yeah, brother owes me 12 bucks. Wait, he doesn't say brother? No, he doesn't say brother. It's been a while since I've seen it, so uh, says, I didn't remember that. He That's says what he another said. thing. <laughs> he says another word? He says another word. Another word? <laughs> <laughs> so as the car is broke down and they really don't have a ride, they just start walking and, but before they walk, obviously this naked man that just fall out, of, fall fell out of the sky, has to figure out a way to put some clothes on. So he asks Silent Bob his jacket. Jay refers to it as his armor. I love that, by the way. I, I, I still want to start calling my jacket armor. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> He's like his junk's could be touching the outside of your armor. Yeah, your junk's gonna be rubbing on the inside of his armor. His junk's gonna be rubbing on the inside of your armor. And 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 Jay just or uh. uh Silent Bob just shrugs, which I think is yeah, great. Yeah, he's like, whatever. I am sorry. Yeah. And then Rufus is like, I'll try to, I'll try to tuck it back. <laughs> I'll try to tuck it back. So then they just oh, kind of start on their way, and they start walking. And they're like, wait, we're going to walk? And he's like, back in the day, we used to walk everywhere. You ever heard about a fat apostle? Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> you then get another glimpse of Asriel, and he's not happy at all. And he's talking to the twins about their failure to kill Bethany. So... He decides uh, we should probably up the game up just a little bit. So he's going to he's gonna send in the big guns. So now they're at a restaurant and they're talking. And Rufus is explaining the whole situation to everybody about why he's really there. And how he needs to clear up some of the things that they got wrong in the Bible. They are at Mubi's, calf, or Mubi's restaurant, which you get another glimpse of the golden calf. And he's basically just telling Bethany, like, she's been chosen basically we're gonna help you there's also a uh, a little uh, a nod to jay when he's talking about how the, basically the dead because rufus is dead they spend a lot of time just watching the living he he kind of prove his point he tells bethany a little bit about herself but then he kind of lets on a little bit about jay when he's like you masturbate more than anyone on the planet <laughs> shit tell me something we don't know and then he says, most of the time you're thinking about guys, which that was a big thing in the 90s. For some reason, everyone liked to play the gay card, but that's something that happens. Yeah. And then Silent Bob just kind of looks at him. <laughs> what, does he, what does he say? Was it like, dude, not all not the time. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> like basically admitting it like, okay, yeah, fine. I kind of think about dude. And actually that was for 1999. That was somewhat forward thinking. Sex- that, that was pretty sex positive for, for 1999. A guy basically admitting like, I mean, yeah, sometimes, so, and? <laughs> the crazy thing about this scene to me is, like, you just see the look of horror on Silent Bob's face, and then the next time you see them is in a strip club. But we'll get to that in a second. What's going on with Bartleby and Loki during all this? We did get an earlier glimpse of them starting their mass genocide, where they do kill an adulterer on a bus, just in front of everybody. It's, it's, a, little, it's a little funny scene. But then we get to the, the penultimate moment, where they finally get to the boardroom where Loki has really wanted to go. He really wants to basically just kill everyone in here because they're idolaters. He's trying to he's trying to please God here. So if I remember the scene correctly, they're in the they're in the 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 boardroom. Let me set the stage. And 
Loki's over there and he's like he's he's peeling something. It looks fucking weird. And the CEO is talking about how they've made major profits, whatever have you. It's an he, onion because they re- they say that yeah yeah it's an onion. So the CEO is like, what the what the fuck are you guys doing in here? And and Loki kind of hands it over to Bartleby, and you can tell Loki really has this flair for the dramatic. Whereas Bartleby is just like, oh, God, I can't believe we're here doing this. But because Bartleby's a watcher, he knows everything about everybody in this room. So he goes up there and he lets them know that they're all guilty of raising an idol. But then he starts going into detail on each one of them individually and basically talking about besides the fact that you've detracted from God with your idol by raising an idol, just generally speaking, you're all absolute pieces of shit. And he goes through this boardroom one by one, and I'm not going to recount all of it. Oh, no, if it's you, a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. And it, but the, the details he goes into are pretty messed up. And I'll, I'll just finish with the last one. When he gets to the CEO, he doesn't even say it out loud. He just whispers it in the man's ear. And the man starts to cry as Loki comes up and says, he's your son, you sick, sick fuck. fuck. I mean, it's just terrifying hearing all that. And except there's the one person, the one woman yeah, who apparently one is pretty decent. Bartleby and, turns to her and he's like, you are an innocent. Good job. Good job. Yeah. And and then what happens, AJ? Loki decides after Bartleby leaves the room that he wants to try to go a little bit further and try to add a little bit more fear into the room. So he starts talking about the voodoo doll again. And he's like, you know, that looks just like you as he's talking to the leader of the board. He's like, you know, if I believed enough starts waving his hand over it, kind of making it seem like he's going to do something, smashes the voodoo doll, and the board member is just freaked out. And then he laughs in his face. He's like, I don't, be- I don't believe in voodoo. Then he leaves the room for like half a second, comes back in, and he's like, but I do believe in this. <laughs> and then, just, as, as and he, then shoot, he started blasting. <laughs> and he started shooting. And you can hear him say, don't run, don't run. Sphinx, all of you Sphinx. <laughs> it's because Bartleby's like, you can see him mouthing, but I do believe in like, He's just irritated by the whole process. He's like, God, this is so stupid. So he gets to the last woman who's shaking. She's freaked out. She's got blood all over her. And she was the innocent. The one she that, was the that innocent. Bartleby said didn't do anything wrong. And he's like, you know, gum. He's just offered gum. And then he's like, oh, don't worry about it. But then he's like, but you didn't say because earlier he had sneezed and he kind of looked around the room. Looked around was, the room waiting for somebody to say bless for, you. <laughs> somebody to say bless you. And then he, has, he kind of capitalizes on this moment to commit more genocide where he's like, but you didn't say bless you. <laughs> you didn't say God bless you when I sneezed. And he points the gun at her. She starts screaming and you hear Bartleby going, Loki! <laughs> and then he turns to the girl. He's like, you got off light. <laughs> <laughs> whole scene it's it's like it's crazy that we're laughing about mass murder but for the love of god they they did this scene scene. so well and just made it so like the music in the background is like the movies like super happy like it sounds like it's a small world-esque type music and it's just like while he's killing all these people it's just it hell it's kind of like it's kind of like when uh uh, Sweet Tooth is killing people in Twisted Metal. It's oh, it's, yeah. it's kind of like that, yeah. But uh, now back in Illinois, they they do find Jane and Bob in a strip club where you see a very familiar dancer on the screen. It's a uh, Selma Hayek. I don't know why she just is always a stripper, but she's a stripper in this movie and in a schoolgirl oh, yeah. outfit. I should I should note. Um, not that that's germane to the story at all. I just wanted I, to set the scene. I just want to set the scene. <laughs> <laughs> 
the the funny thing about this before i go on to the actual scene itself did you know that kevin smith whenever he found out that he was supposed to basically i guess i don't know what they call it interview um selma hayek he didn't want to do it he, he already had a vision in his mind and he's like i don't think she can play this person because she's supposed to be book smart she's supposed to be it's just she's supposed to be whip smart she's supposed to be this she's supposed to be this she's supposed to be that he actually immediately as soon as he started talking to her realized not only was she a poli sci major but she knew the bible front and back chapter and verse so he was very impressed and then he casted her chapter and verse chapter and verse (laughs) felt like you just quote west wing there (laughs) (laughs) but uh the stripper on stage we find out is named serendipity rufus is actually the one that points this out because he's like i know her because as she's dancing on stage, she's kind of going back and forth between Jane and the Bob and this other group of what appear to be gangsters. And they're just basically vying for her attention. And as she turns to each one, you hear this little chime. You're like, what, what the hell is going on? She's basically using this power that she has because we find out that she's what's called a muse. Someone that inspires other people. Not really an angel, per se. She calls herself an abstract. Well, I think... She's a well, like part of the choir of Angel, right? Or is no, that am I mis- misunderstanding that? She didn't actually have form, from what I understand, and from what I was listening to in the in the in the movie, she didn't really have form until she came to Earth and got a body. But then, didn't she still have this the downstairs mix up? Yeah, she did because technically she is an angel, but Rufus so, so says like that she's, she's not of, really. Uh, she's she's kind of an she's a a a, a heavenly presence or a heavenly uh you know uh figure but maybe not necessarily one of the choirs of angels these is way to describe her exactly what sean said for all intents and purposes she is an angel her job is to inspire humans but she decided to leave heaven because she was sick and tired of people taking her ideas such as the bible and twisting it to whatever they wanted she says that she was responsible for i think it's the 12 best movies of all time but she's like and they're like wait like, or, um, oh, no, 12 out of the 13 yeah, 12 uh, highest 13. grossing films yeah. yeah and they're like what about the last one she's like you know that movie with the kid that's in the house and the robbers and they're trying to attack him and then she goes ah and puts her hands to- on her face yeah. like like kevin does from yeah. home alone <laughs> she's like i had nothing to do with that piece of shit someone must have sold their soul for that <laughs> poor poor mccullough gullican <laughs> we get a look into kind of this weird dichotomy between god as a person because serendipity doesn't call god he serendipity calls god she and then bethany's like wait what do you mean and so serendipity basically says that you know god was always written to be a her not a he but men had it in their minds that they did not want to worship someone that would be a woman so he became a she and that's kind of what she wanted to get down to the... And I think that kind of drove her further point that she felt, you know, aside from just the, you know, the 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 change from he to she, or from she to he, that the Bible was full of sexism. And I think she goes on to note several examples of that as well. It's, cr- it's pretty crazy that both Serendipity and Rufus are pretty much fighting for the same thing. They want the Bible changed. They want the Bible, they want the Bible accurate. Yeah, they want, the, yeah. They want it fixed. From, from within this, this dogmatic ideal... There is a truth that was not conveyed, and it's interesting too because uh, that's a common argument against uh, you know univocality uh, and, and other potential you know uh, biblically historical theories. Is this idea that if it, it may be the inspired word of God, quote unquote, but that it had to go through men and men are fall in uh, men are, uh, are fallible. So 
any problems with the Bible can simply be dismissed with this idea of, well, men are infallible. So if there's any fuck ups, it's because of those. It's because of men. And I always find that interesting. So now we get to a scene that's kind of crazy to me because you don't actually see this at all on most of the aired versions of this movie. There is something that is summoned by Asriel. It's called the Golgothan. 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 You see this um, Golgothan, this demon, come up from a um, a turlet. A, a, a turlet? Yeah, a turlet. What's, what's a turlet? A turlet is where you go poop. Oh, a toilet. Yeah, a, a turlet. A, a, uh, a, a, a restroom. Oh, yes, a restroom. So you see this um, this demon come out of the, the toilet that someone had just taken a little poopsie in, and it's it's called a shit demon. It's called the Golgothan. The Golgothan was created from the, um, basically like all of the people that were crucified on, Golgo- on Golgotha, all of that kind of came together and formed the shit demon. It's basically an assassin, the best assassin in hell that's only sent by kind of high-ranking people. So the Golgothan comes in, attacks everyone in the room the gangsters in the room who had just kind of brought jane silent bob into their fold they're now members of this gang they go after the golgothan and the golgothan kills them all but then the rest of the group bethany serendipity the whole crew decides they're going to fight back they don't know what they're going to do but they're kind of just cowering in the corner but then they're saved by an unlikely hero bob who just walks up to the golgothan and just sprays some odor eliminating spray <laughs> it's the funniest shit ever and then they just continue on their road so why does why does bob have that again uh because of jay because jay's just always farting so he just <laughs> it. um and but serendipity stays behind she doesn't follow them and then she has to question the demon now we get another look at bartleby and loki who are still trying to get back on the road because they have to get to this archway they can't get tickets to the bus so then asriel shows why can't they get tickets to the bus i wonder why (laughs) (laughs) because yeah when you murder somebody on a bus it tends to make the transit authority a little skittish so now they're kind of talking about it and loki's like you know why should we be on earth when we could simply rise above Oh right, they still have wings, don't yeah, they? They still have Fuck. wings. They haven't, they haven't, uh, was it uh, transubstantiated yet? Yeah, they, so they, they could fly. Yeah, sure. But then Azrael shows up, and he's like, "You don't want to do that." What the demon dude? Yeah, Jason Lee. Yeah, holy shit! He shows up, and he basically says, "You don't want to do that because both parties are looking for you, both heaven and below." Because you know he's basically like he lies to them, and he says that heaven is upset because you're going to prove God wrong, and that lucifer's pissed off because now they're going to show lucifer up because lucifer's tried to prove god wrong and try to piss god off for so long he's like you're gonna you're gonna succeed where he failed so many times he tells them to keep a low profile and that they should probably just board a train or something like that and essentially he buries the lead and does not tell them that this will undo existence he doesn't tell them anything why are they friendly why why is it they don't seem to be taken aback by the fact that a demon is over here talking to him well, because, I mean, they all were in heaven at one point. Ah, they, there uh, you go. The angels, demons are just former angels that fell. I just figured we'd give that little tidbit because later we're going to find out more specifics about Azrael. But yes, he was a former, he is a fallen angel. Now, later on, we're on a train and Jay and the Bob strike up a conversation with two unlikely people on the train. We see Bartleby and Loki. They're just kind of talking and just having a grand old time. And then Bethany joins in the conversation and she's talking to Bartleby and she starts getting drunk, kind of 
kind of flirting with him. You can kind of tell there's a back oh, and forth. Not kind of. There's no fucking kind of about it. They're, they're full on flirting. Well, at first she thinks that he's gay because Bartleby kind of explains a story. He doesn't tell them exactly what's going on, but he does tell um, Bethany that they're their roommates they lived together for a long time they were stationed together and then she's like you know that's beautiful <laughs> that's and, <really> beautiful <laughs> and he's like wait what she's he's like oh we're not lovers <laughs> and um, that's when she's like okay we need drinks yeah then, then she starts getting drinks and then starts flirting with them now rufus had been sleeping in the back of the train and he gets up and he's like all right well i just need to go see what everyone else is doing already wasn't there so because yeah. he would he would have known what they look like because yeah. you know he's in heaven he would have so. known exactly what they sure. look like so he walks into the room where they're all talking. But Bethany has just explained to Bartleby the reason that she's actually on the train. Because he had previously asked, you know, what are you doing here? And she's like, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. And he's like, you know, I probably would. And you kind of get an inkling that he maybe knows what she's about to say. So Bethany is explaining that to Bartleby that she has to stop a couple of angels from entering this archway because if they were to prove God wrong, they would negate all existence. So she tells him that flat out and she laughs about it. And he looks very just kind of taken aback because he just found out that they're not going to the church to basically go to heaven. They're going to go to church and end the fucking world. So everything that they've been trying for is just moot. And so she asks him, how can I stop a couple of angels? And Bartleby goes, well, maybe you have to kill him. And then she laughs at that, and she's like, angels, how are you supposed to kill them? So he grabs a knife, and he's getting ready to basically end her. Rufus walks into the room at this time, and he sees Bartleby and Loki, and he freaks out. And he's like, Bartleby. And then Bartleby looks at him and goes, apostle. (laughs) (laughs) And then he grabs Bethany, uh, Bartleby grabs Bethany, and is basically about to slit her throat. And Bartleby, or uh, Rufus tells Bartleby, you don't have the consequences of your actions, basically trying to argue with, argue with him and say, you need to stop what you're doing because what you're going to do is in the universe. At this time, again, they're all pretty much saved by Bob because Jay and the Bob kind of get Bartleby and Loki off of them or gets Bartleby off of Bethany. They throw Loki and Bartleby off the train. And then they all have to leave the train because now they know exactly where they're going and they could just come and find them. Am I completely misremembering this or does Bob make a um, uh, Indiana Jones Indiana reference? Jones reference? Yeah, when he says, throws no, them off. He throws them off, he goes, no ticket. No ticket. Okay, I'm just, I was like, I swear, I, I, I couldn't remember if I just inserted that myself because I thought it would have been funny or if they actually did that. Of course he did because Kevin Smith's a genius. Oh, yeah. Now, they all have to get off the train because Bartleby and Loki just got thrown off. They obviously can't be on the train. And Rufus and all of them realize that they're going to know exactly where they are. They need to figure out a way to kind of divert themselves and get away from this. So now we're in an underground parking garage. And Loki and Bartleby are talking about what they just found out. Bartleby knows that they can't do this. Loki's just saying, Bartleby, let's just go back to Wisconsin. And Bartleby kind of has a flip He's been the level-headed one this entire time. He's been the voice of reason pretty much for this entire trip. Now he flips. He says, no, you know, humans had their time. We've been bowing and scraping and our whole existence has been one of servitude. Why? It's been wasted. And Loki starts looking at him because Loki's been the genocidal one, the one that's been kind of fire and brimstone. Now he's starting to see that Bartleby is snapping and he's like, you know who you sound like. 
And Bartleby looks at him and he says, shut your mouth. He's like, no, man, you're starting to sound like the morning star. You're starting to sound like Lucifer. And Bartleby fully is like, no, we're going with the, through this plan. Threatens Loki and says, no, we're going through this. There's, there's, no other, there's no other way. We're going to do this. Okay, so where are our heroes through all this? So the heroes actually had to get off the train because they knew that Bartleby and Loki would be able to hunt them down. So they kind of go off into the forest. I don't know exactly know where they were, but they're kind of by this lake. Bethany and all of them are sitting by the fire, and she's kind of explaining to everyone that she doesn't understand why she's been chosen to have to kill Bartleby and Loki, because Rufus has kind of enforced her. You're probably going to have to kill them. She's asking why it has to be her. Rufus talks well, to her. Wait, hold on. Did, did anybody other than angels themselves confirm that she would actually have to kill? Did, did somebody else within the actual like good guy group say, oh, yeah, that's he's totally right. You're going to have to kill somebody. No, it was it was just Rufus. Rufus is kind of enforcing what had happened because Bartleby and Loki had talked about it. Right. And now he's putting it in her head. that Yeah, you're probably going to have to do this. So she's asking why her? And then he tells her, you know, imagine you're a 12-year-old boy, and one day you're told you're God's only son. More than that, you're God. Then he goes on to say, well, how would you take that? How long would it really take you to come to grips with that? I think 15 minutes and a Diet Coke, I'd be ready to go. I, I, don't, I don't think so, Sean. I, I think it would <laughs> probably take you about 18 years. I Really? Because I feel like 15 minutes and a Diet Coke at 12 years old, like, okay, I'm ready to... I'm I'm ready to Christ I'm ready to go, it up. I'm now. ready to go die for everybody. Right I'm ready. Now. I'm ready to ge get my Jesus on. No, That's... I took the Pepsi challenge and Coke one out. <laughs> I'm ready to do this. <laughs> no, he, he, in the movie he says it's about 18 years. Now he explains the Bible went from Jesus being 12 to 30, and then he reinforces it by saying 12 to 30. He's like, "That's some pretty bad storytelling," and then he goes in and explains like, "What do you think happened in between those 18 years?" She's like, I don't know. You know, he's like, you know, he's like, well, we have to talk about Jesus's family. I, I think he actually says whatever happened to those texts, they were offered up to the they were offered up as a sacrifice to the God of ecumenical politics. And she's like, wait, do you think there's a conspiracy to conceal this about Jesus during this time? He's like, no, Jesus's family. And she's like, what, you mean Joseph and Mary? He's like, no, his brothers and sisters. She's like, wait, no, no, Jesus didn't have any brothers and sisters. And he's like. She's but. like, no, Jesus, she's like, Mary was a, Mary was a virgin. And he's like, yes, he, uh, Mary beget Christ while Mary was a virgin. But that is true. But he's, then he goes on to say, you know, but to think that a married couple would never, like they would never gotten down, but then they would stay together. He's like, that's just plain gullibility. I don't know if that term still resonates, but uh, just in case you're one of the younger members of our audience, getting down is uh, how, <laughs> how we used to say uh sexual intercourse and old people speak he then explains to her that the blood that flows through her veins is the blood of jesus christ he's like you probably share a chromosome or two with jesus christ which i'm sure she took very well right yeah okay cool because you know he says you know she's you're the great 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 grandniece of jesus christ now previously he had told people that jesus was black in the movie so i get one of the best lines ever from jay he's like wait so that would make Bethany part black. <laughs> I, was like, you know, totally, I totally forgot that he plays that out. And I think that, I, th I can't remember, but I think it's Silent Bob that turns to him. He's like, like just kind of points. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. He's not wrong. <laughs> so he's basically telling her that she is called the last scion, who is the last descendant of Jesus Christ. Now, is that, 
and I was always, I've always been curious about this. I'm not sure if you have this in your notes. Is it last Zion, like Z-I-O-N, or Scion, like S-C-I-O-N? I think it's the last Scion. So I, I've always heard the word Zion, Zion, kind of linked with Judaism in some way, shape, or form. Excuse me. I don't. I don't. Honestly, I don't know if that's a, if it's an anti-Semitic trope or not. But um, I, I think there's a, a, an actual legitimate use for the word. And I always assume that's kind of what we were talking about when we talked about the last Zion. Well, actually, I just I literally just looked this up just to see if there was some type of usage. The scion is the descendant, so oh. it's the last scion. So if you listen to it, so it, it actually is, plays out. Uh, how does it spell? Is it S C I O N? S C I O N. Interesting. Wow. All these years I've been wrong about that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's the last scion, the last descendant. I gotta say, this is probably my favorite part of us doing this podcast is getting to go back and find out that I have been. You know, thinking that uh, the, that the lyrics to the song were salami instead of zombie. You know, that's oh what what nothing. <laughs> Bethany obviously has just had a giant revelation thrown at her, and she becomes overwhelmed and just kind of runs off. And she runs into a, a river or a lake. I can't exactly remember what it is, but she almost looks like a like a stream it doesn't even look that deep at all no no it's just not that deep and then she's just basically she's just screaming why her and the metatron who in kind of like a callback to the bible is walking on water he's he tells her you know you know he said the same thing talking about christ and she tells him that he was the one that had to tell christ that he was gonna have to die for everyone's sins and he's like you know you try to put that on a kid and obviously they're not going to take it very well and he says, in this moment, Jesus had asked him, you know, just to make it all untrue. And he's like, you know, between you and me, I've never told anybody this. I would have. He's like, it's not fair to put that on the child. It's not fair to ask that. And it's not fair to ask this of you. And he's like, but I won't make you do it. Pretty much just giving her the choice again. But Bethany finds it within herself to kind of move forward. It's weird how genuine this moment is. Oh, like yeah. I, even, even now, because I didn't rewatch really it, because I feel like I know this movie back to front. But even now, all these years later, remembering that scene, it's just, it's so tender. Because you can tell that Alan Rickman really wanted to portray how an angel who's just kind of a cog in it all would truly feel about having to impart this on, you know, these creations that he has so much empathy for. And and he and and it, he, classic Rickman. He does an incredible job of imparting that empathy and showing that he also truly cares about Bethany. And even though that he's been sarcastic with her and you know definitely been funny up till this point, that in this moment he he understands the weight of what she's being asked and understands that there's no there's no easy button here. And I think he imparts that really really well. To me, and I don't know if you got this as well, being the voice of God. He's got to relay all these tender things that God would ever want to say to God's kid, because obviously if God was to speak, it would shatter Jesus' eardrums. So I kind of got the impression that the Metatron sees Jesus as his own son, almost. Oh, that's interesting. And so when you think about it, he's telling Jesus everything that God wants to say. So he kind of probably feels some familial connection to Bethany as well through Jesus. See, I never, I like that. I've never looked at it. I always looked at it more of a, I always looked at it more of a, uh, you know, imagining yourself as a person who's middle management at a company, right? Mm-hmm. And nobody ever gets to talk to the CEO. You know, you're, you're Steve fucking jobs. 
and you got to be the guy that's always got to impart the news. And sometimes it's really great news and you're really excited to be the guy that does that. And then other times you would fucking give this up in a second if you could, because mm-hmm. good God, you don't want to have to impart the news that you're going to have to impart. So I, I, that's all. I, I like your version better though. I, I think it, uh, I think it resonates better in terms of how Rickman played it. So, uh, so Bethany's the last scion. Yeah, she's the last scion. So, so what are we, what, where are we going now? What's, what's next? We're well, gonna, ma- we're gonna go kill some angels. What are we doing? Well, now the Metatron has to get everyone together again. He pulls his whole Barty trick where he kind of snaps everyone into the same room. <laughs> what, what, which room do we go to, AJ? Oh, it's it's in a where is it? They went to the Mexican restaurant. Again. Oh, they went back to the Mexican restaurant. I couldn't remember if that's where they were. I thought that's I think that's where it was. It's either Me- I think it's the Mexican restaurant. It's a restaurant. I remember that, but I because I think it, yeah because remember he says like it's kind of hopeless. So he's like, well, I think we should all just get drunk. Well, it I couldn't remember if he was somewhere else though. Well, I'll, we'll have to go back and watch that, guys. Guys, watch this movie. Obviously, after we do this, you'll see exactly what's going on in the scene. But it's kind of funny to me because Rufus, through this entire movie, every time he sees somebody, he has to point them out. He's like, oh my gosh, the voice. And then Alan Rickman's like, the apostle. (laughs) (laughs) The voice. And um, (laughs) freaking Jay and Silent Bob just are freaking out about this. They're like, I don't understand what's going on. Who's this guy? And then Rufus is like, this is the voice of God. Show some respect. <laughs> and then they have to kind of talk about what's going on. The Metatron actually explains that the reason that Bethany was essentially tapped is because God's gone missing. They don't understand where he is because God likes to take what's called a constitutional. Wait, did he say constitutional or sabbatical? It's a constitutional. Constitutional, okay. He says it's a constitutional where he basically takes on a human form and goes to play skee-ball because as Rufus calls calls him, is a he's a skee-ball fanatic. Wait, didn't, uh, at the very beginning of this, didn't you say something about a guy getting beat up? Yeah. Interesting. I wonder if that's going uh, well, to wonder if that's going to come back to haunt us. It's a bold move, Cotton. Let's see if it plays out. <laughs> <laughs> And it's funny because now that Bethany has already talked to the muse and she understands that God is depicted as a woman, she starts calling God she and Alan Rickmer, the Metatron, is just like, yeah, we don't know where she is. We're unable to locate her. Like, he's just very <laughs> upset about well, this. I, I think the reason comes clear becomes clear later. Yeah. But it is kind of funny that, you know, within Rickman, even, you know, as the Metatron, understanding human you know contention with gender how he would be so dismissive of it because once we find out who god is it's like yeah from the human perspective that's definitely a fucking she (laughs) that's 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 yeah that's what we would call that it's funny to me too because he's explaining exactly why she was tapped and he's like i tapped her to see if we could get the people that are actually behind this out of hiding and he's all of ideas now and then they're like so what do we do he's like i'm all of ideas so let's just get drunk (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah that's what that's the part i was talking about yeah Yeah, so i I think they're in the mexican restaurant again yeah and it's funny because right i keep saying that right after this jay comes up with a great idea and he's like, you know, why don't we just talk to the Cardinal? Because he picks up a newspaper and he's like, why don't we just talk to this guy and get him to cancel the rededication ceremony? And then they all kind of talk about that. <laughs> he turns to him, he's like, good Lord, the little stoner's got a point. <laughs> <laughs> so they do take this idea and they do try to meet up with Cardinal, uh, Cardinal Glick. They talk to him while he's playing golf in his office. I have to mention this because that golf club might come into handy later. You think? They explain 
the story as if Bartleby and Loki are actually mentally ill people that believe that they're angels and that they can't get them through the arch. So he needs to stop this dedication ceremony. So he brushes it off. He's like, no, I'm not going to do this. It's going to proceed as... Wait, hold on. Are you telling me that the Catholic Church was presented with a problem and decided to just ignore it? Yeah. Wow, that's... That's that's incredibly uncharacteristic. I feel like we should I feel like we should look at that later. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I do I do believe in this scene though. They try to reinforce it and like, okay, this is actually what's going on. You can't do this. And then he's like, Who sent you guys? And then Rufus gets up and it's like, We're sent by he who is I am. And it's like, <laughs> get out of here. I think he says cute. And then he says, Get out of here. Wait, what wait, what is how what does he follow up that? So like it worked for worked for Moses or something like that. What was it? I think he said it works for Moses. Yeah, it worked for Moses. <laughs> he <laughs> just Cardinal, shrugged like I, I I was worth a shot. And the Cardinal looks like cute, and then he tells him to get out of there. Playtime with the Cardinals yeah. over kids. So <laughs> as as they're walking out, Jay reveals that he has stolen Cardinal Glick's golf club. I that's a, that's, a, that's a bit of a tongue twister. Cardinal, Cardinal, Cardinal Glick's golf club. The tip Cardinal of the tongue Glick's. that teats the lips, you know. <laughs> Now, Bartleby and Loki are slowly seen going closer and closer to New Jersey, and Bethany and the others are in a bar, and they're joined by none other than Asriel. He oh, showed, our, yeah. our demon friend is back. Yeah, he's back, and he has some friends with him, and he's there to make sure that they do not interfere with this and that everything goes off as planned. The muse then joins in and basically tells everyone that Asriel used to be amuse but he was kicked out oh. and we'll get to for, we'll get to that in a second because obviously if a bunch of people walk into your bar one person's causing trouble and you're kind of serving drinks to everyone if you're a bartender you've got to stop them right so the bartender tries to stop Azrael, and you're not really going to tell this joke are you yes i am <laughs> it's funny because he's talking to them he's like all right you got to get out of here and he's like, oh, but I, you haven't even made my favorite drink. Can I just have one for the road? He's like, yeah, I want a holy bartender. Do you know how to make a holy bartender? And he turns to everyone. He's like, do you? I know how to make a holy bartender. Then he grabs an Uzi and just basically kills the bartender as a punchline of the joke. <laughs> and then Jay, look how, like, what is it, like five minutes it's later? Like Jay, five minutes later. Five minutes later, Jay's like, holy bartender, I get it. That's a great one. <laughs> <laughs> he's just laughing. It's a classic. <laughs> Now, there's a point during this scene, and and I don't want to I don't want to jump ahead unless if you already have this planned for discussion, but um, where he talks about not wanting to exist anymore, right? Yeah. Like the whole reason he's a kind of yeah. That away. comes after we talk about um, Bartleby and Loki going to the church. Like right, right now, they have to go to the church. And guys, if you're watching this and it's kind of out of sequence, it's because it does flash back and forth a lot. So sometimes, as you know, I do get them out of sequence. But just go watch the fucking movie. I mean, like, obviously, I'm here to explain it to you. I'm here to help you relive this. But if you're really that upset about it, now, go watch the movie. So now Bartleby and Loki have shown up. They're there at the rededication ceremony. And Bartleby announces to everyone that they're being condemned by God. And that everyone is going to have to pay for their sins. And Loki, he's like, you know, I don't think we should do this. And he's like, wings. And then Loki protests a little bit more. He's like, wings, now. 
He strips off his hoodie and he's got armor underneath. And he's oh, got these big shit. old wings. Like what kind of armor? Like we talking like like medieval armor, Roman armor? It's what? if it's more akin to Roman armor. Roman armor. It's, okay. yeah, it's more like Roman armor. Badass. And it's silver and it's got gold trims and he's got wings. And it's funny because every single angel that has um hoodies on in this, it's actually kind of cool. I don't know if I've talked about this yet, but every single angel that is shown wears a hoodie. And every single angel wears a hoodie because the hood of the hoodie is actually supposed to represent their halos. Oh, yeah, cool. oh, it's very that's interesting. Cute. That's cute. Yeah. But now they're brandishing their wings, and now they're just going to start killing everybody. Oh, I think yeah, I think we get like a and and this is how we kind of flash back to the bar, if I remember right. Like they they show a newscast of the carnage that's ongoing. Yeah, and that's what brings us back to the bar and kind of keeps the conversation between Azrael and our good guys going. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay, cool. Now, at the bar, Azrael is telling everyone about his plan. He explains why he is doing what he's doing. Because he fully understands that the world is going to end. He has kind of a tete-a-tete with the muse. Because the muse is explaining that he got kicked out because he also was a muse. The reason that he got kicked out is because during Lucifer's uprising, they were supposed to choose sides. It was angel versus angel. It was carnage on the battlefield. But if you didn't choose a side at the end of this battle... God cast every single person that didn't out. And Azrael considers that a grave injustice. I mean, n- not to agree with a demon here, but it's kind of a dick move. Basically, he was just a conscientious objector. <laughs> so that would be like us throwing all the hippies in jail. Like, we did do that. No shit. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that gets me is that he says, you know, he was an artist and that, you know, a muse has no place in battle. But this seems to imply that serendipity would have fought oh she would have had yeah you're she would have had to she would have had to have but then i i've also thought about this scene in terms of there could have been another way and this is stretching it because the assumption i think we're supposed to make is that all angels that exist existed since you know god spoke them all together that new angels aren't being created Uh but i think we could also potentially because that's since that's never actually stated we could assume that maybe serendipity was created after the battle because now Muse is gone and a new Muse is needed, so she was created to take his place because, and so she she would not have been around during the battle. So I don't know. I, I guess I, I you know I, I think we could probably interpret it either way, but it, it doesn't really matter her fighting in the battle or her just mm. being created after the fact. Either way, she has a clear a clear opinion on that he should have fought. The way that I kind of think about it, because they do say that she was an abstract before, before she got a body. I'm thinking more along the lines of instead of battle, quote unquote, because she provides inspiration to people. It was, did they inspire one side or the other as the battle was going on or not? And if they just sat back and let things happen, that's why they were cast out. So you're saying she was Mel Gibson giving the speech on the battlefield? Yes, 100%. <laughs> okay, so he's giving his little spiel, basically talking about how, you know, the, the reason why he was cast down. He says it's unfair. So so what happens next? They He he just tries to lock him in this room and keep him there? What's going on? Well, he's, he's locking him in the room. He's trying to keep him there because at the end of the day, he really wants the world to end because he's been in hell this entire time. And he definitely doesn't want to go back right he says something to the effect of uh like that non-existence is better than serving time in hell he said he'd rather not exist than go back to that um so so how do they resolve this i mean obviously he's he's a demon um no he's a he's a fucking demon 
Oh, that's right. He's a, that's, <laughs> I'm a fucking demon. Yeah. Okay. I remember now. Yeah. In the room, everyone's kind of thinking, how can they get Asriel? How can they take him down? Asriel catches that serendipity is looking at Silent Bob. And it's funny because he's Silent Bob. He's always silent. So he speaks without speaking. He's going back and forth with the muse. And she's basically telling him to attack Asriel. And Asriel catches this and he's like, oh, okay, no, that's fine. Go ahead and do that because he's a fucking demon. He doesn't care. So he, it's kind of cool how he does this too. He like licks his finger and takes his nail and slits his shirt open. I always thought that was one of the coolest things ever. That is pretty badass. And he's talking to Bob, you know, come on, come on, do it. Bob's got the club that Cardinal Glick had had earlier that Jay had stolen and he hits him in the chest and his entire chest caves in and just all of this black muck just starts spilling out and he looks up and he's like but but i'm a fucking demon <laughs> <laughs> now they have to go take care of the Sigian twins really quick so jay um jay the muse and bethany and rufus all go to go fight the Stygian twins but then they tell bethany to go bless the sinks and they're like with what so bethany goes over there she just kind of makes a cross over the sinks they put the stygian twins in there and they're basically drowning them in now holy water and it's funny because obviously they're dead but jay keeps like shaking one of them putting them under the water still <laughs> and she's wondering why that works and they explain that sanctifying water is now one of the perks of being the last i was about one. to say you could say powers it's okay <laughs> it's, it's not one of the perks she's got superpowers that's all right so wait, hold on. I, I always, I, I'm curious about that. Is it because, is it because she's the last scion or is it just, you know, because she's been given this mission, she's been kind of <laughs> granted special abilities? I think she's grandfathered in because of the fact that Jesus was a holy being inside of Mary. And so anything that comes after that, I was going to get some, some byproducts of that. You okay. Know? So she's, she's got blessings in the DNA. Yeah. So it's gotcha. a, it's, it's blessing by proxy. Gotcha. <laughs> blessing by proxy. <laughs> so, okay. Our demons are dead. Uh, and I, I assume now we're, uh, you know, our good guys are going to move to the church and try to stop the angels from yes. whatever they're now up to since they've started their carnage. Yes. They, they run to the church. They're trying to stop them. They find Loki kind of wandering aimlessly. You can see on his back that his wings are gone and he's getting drunk, which obviously means that he is not an angel anymore. He's already transubstantiated. Gotcha. And Bartleby is just flying around, picking people up and dropping them. And so you can already tell he's killed the Cardinal. He's killed pretty much anyone there that was witnessing the rededication ceremony and he's just like you know he's just gone crazy he's just, he's kept picking people up and dropping them and you can see serendipity go over to loki and it seems that she's really sympathetic to him because she understands that he didn't want this but now since he's looped in there's no other way they either have to kill them or find out some way to incapacitate them so they can't do this anymore didn't he also mention something about her boobs uh, did, did it did he yeah. say <laughs> because he's tits. drunk and she's talking to him and she's asking him like have you gone through the arch yet and like he's completely distracted he's like oh my god serendipity oh you look great are those real <laughs> <laughs> They're trying to rationalize with Bartleby now because he has kind of got this egomaniac thing going on where he is just like, all right, well, I'm going to cause as much destruction as I can. And they explained to him that Asriel was just using them or using him. And he, he fully knows this now. He understands exactly what's going on because Bethany had already explained to him on the train right. that they can't go through. He fully knows that he's going to end existence. He doesn't <laughs> care. He's like, his mission is not to return to heaven anymore. He stated that humans were given this gift, and now it's unfair that his entire existence would just be to bow and scrape. No, he's done. 
He's like, this is a failed experiment. Let's just let it all go out with a bang, essentially. Now, what's funny to me, and this is my favorite callback to everything. Jay had previously asked Bethany to sleep with him. And I believe her exact words were, no sex. Yeah, no, none at all. And he's like, but what if it was the end of the world and we had like five minutes left? In that very unlikely situation? Yeah, okay, sure. So now Jay, he looks around, he realizes all the fucking carnage is going on. <laughs> and he just starts taking off his pants. So, so he's trying to cash in his fucking, his fuck chip. <laughs> and she's like, what are you doing? He's like, you told me five minutes left. <laughs> he's like, hey, let's do this. <laughs> and he's like, you know, we could either do this or sit down comatose like that John Doe Jersey guy. Call back to the beginning. Because now Bethany puts it together. That, oh, comatose guy, John Doe Jersey, no one knows who he is. God's been missing. Went to Jersey for skee-ball. This is God. So now her and Jay have to run to the hospital. Oh, her and Silent Bob, sorry, I keep saying Jay. But her and Silent Bob have to run to this hospital to go try to wake up or kill John Doe Jersey. And I think that's what that's what they do, right? They actually, they, they, uh, they pull the plug. Because that was the problem, is that he was comatose. So it was keeping uh, God trapped in the body on Earth. So, it, I, I don't know. I, the reason I remember that is because I remember at the time, I don't think it was, I think this predated Terry Schiavo, but we definitely were having conversations yeah. about, you know, whether it is merciful to allow a person to die. And here we are basically like, in order to save the world and release the deity, you're going to have to kill someone. And I think that's kind of what put us, in, you know, and even though, you know, from Bethany's perspective, you know, she knows this is what has to happen. It still puts it into that perspective of, you know, they're from an ethereal standpoint, this could be justified. And she was always going to have to kill somebody. That's kind of what the mission was about. Bethany oh, has wow, to kill somebody. Point. Holy shit. I didn't even think about that. I didn't even put that together. You are a smart bastard. I, I was, I was watching the movie. <laughs> <laughs> now during this time, whenever they're kind of running into the hospital and doing their thing, Bartleby has already descended. He's already talking to everyone. He's got this ego trip going on. He, like, Loki says, no, I'm going to have to stop you. And he looks like he's about to punch uh, Bartleby and like at least throw down with him. But then Bartleby just kills Loki. He just stabs him and says, I'm sorry, old friend. Dick move. I know. They've, been, they've spent all that time in Wisconsin together. They do attack Bartleby. And then they decide that, I, I, I don't know why they thought that this would work, but they tried to just jump on his back. And then Jay, just being... The complete and utter idiot he is picks up an Uzi and just, I don't know where they keep getting Uzis from either. <laughs> like, everyone just has fucking Uzis. <laughs> what does everybody have a fucking Uzi? Yeah, have an Uzi? <laughs> so he, he just shoots Bartleby and he shoots his fucking wings and the wings just kind of are obliterated. Oh God, I totally forgot that's how the wings came off. Yeah. yeah, he just, and so now he's transubstantiated as yep. well. So he's ready to go running his ass out of the church. And it's funny because, like, this is the first time he's experienced true pain. And he starts almost crying, but he's laughing about it, too, because now he's human. Like, he's like, I understand how ben they Affleck, feel. Ben Affleck actually plays that really oh, well, really too, because he's kind of, like, reaching back, like, like he's just in almost shock. Because he's like, oh, my God, pain. This is insanity. What is this? And he does such a good, like, he's just, he's, like, it's it's hard to describe or put into words how he, you know, his arm is just reaching back and almost this, like, make it stop. What is that? I, I, I don't understand this sensation I'm having. And... You know, with with probably even even with some minimal direction, he just pulled off this very incredible. You know, I'm human now. Look about him, and and 
I don't know. I just, I always thought that was pretty impressive. Because Jay has now done the most idiotic thing and cut off his wings, they understand that if he enters that archway, no one can kill him. Because if he comes out, he's going to go straight to heaven. Everything's done. It then flashes to Bethany and Bob at the hospital, and they're looking at John Doe Jersey's body, and they go to pull the plug. And as John Doe Jersey dies, you see this bright, like, flash of light. And then you see this kind of arc come from the the explosion and hit Bethany in the um the abdomen and she just starts bleeding. Oh fuck. Bob and Bob tries to stop it, but it it looks like it's not gonna go so well. Flashes back to Bartleby. Bartleby's walking up the steps. He's about to enter that archway. And as he enters or as he opens up the doors, here mm. comes the Metal Metatron and God. And who and, and who's God, AJ? God uh, happens to be Alanis Morissette. <laughs> Isn't it ironic? Don't you think? <laughs> So Alanis Morissette dressed in like this kind of godly attire. It's like this long robe just kind of opens the door, cradles Bartleby's face, looks at Bartleby, doesn't say anything because obviously God's voice is going to basically obliterate anyone's brain in the uh, immediate vicinity that is human, just kind of looks at him and Bartleby starts crying and apologizes. God looks at Bartleby you can tell that God's forgiving. And then the Metron says, Anyone who isn't dead or from another plane of existence would do well to cover their ears right about now. Because they all know if God's about to open their mouth, things are about to happen. So Serendipity and Rufus like completely jump on Jay, cover his ears. <laughs> and then God opens her mouth and Bartleby just like dies like his head explodes i think you think oh you know yeah, yeah. you know yeah. that's what happens yeah. God, God's head gonna, explodes. you're gonna play the sound God yeah okay I'll, I'll play the sound. <laughs> so, not the head exploding sound not that not that but a, a, a an equally impressive sound god kind of looks around at everything looks very sad and turns back and then finally like finally looks at everything and makes everything the way it was before all the destruction the people aren't alive but the street is now fixed. Everything's kind of clean. And God just has kind of a smile on her face. <laughs> it's funny. Because at, at this point, like, God is kind of just sitting there. I, I don't know if this happens before God. Wait, hold on. I don't know if this happens before. The the bird thing. Does that happen after she revives Bethany or before? The bird thing? Where the bird shits on Metatron. Oh, no. not a. It wasn't a bird shitting on Metatron. It was... um. Mentron looks down to realize that the explosion of the head has gotten blood on him, so he's trying to wipe it off, and oh, he's, okay. he's using God's robe, and she looks at him like, are you fucking kidding me right now? And so she looks down, just exasperated, and she just tears her clothes away, and now she's in like a 70s disco dress. It's super great. It's like <laughs> it's this, so shiny. It's like super shiny, like this really like silver shirt. It looks pretty freaking cool. And she goes off, and she's doing God stuff. But, and by God stuff, you mean somersaults yeah <laughs> she's a somersault well she's not doing somersaults just yet right now she walks over to jay and jay flips up and he's fucking pissed he's like what the fuck is this shit who the fuck are you lady why the fuck did you hug my hand quite a little mouth on him isn't there what the fuck is this the piano why ain't this broad talking i believe the answers that you seek lie within my companion's eyes what the fuck does that mean? Has everyone gone fucking nuts? What the fuck happened to that guy's head? 
Doesn't she? Uh, how does she shut up? What does she do? What does she? She, do? she, she says, like, shut him up. Sh- she like grabs his face says, Shh, and then like looks at him, and then Jay just kind of like smiles. <laughs> so like, she doesn't kiss him. I thought no, she, she doesn't like, kiss him. Okay, but she but she basically does something that just like <laughs> completely mutes him. I, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't remember her kissing him. She just like looks at him and like shushes him, and he's just like, nice. Yeah. Now Bethany is shown to have died. Bob is coming up to the entire group, and he is very sad. Everyone is crying because they're like, oh no. And he's like carrying her right, like uh, yeah, like 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 across the threshold type carry. And it seems to be that everyone in the group understands that this is kind of what happens to the last scion, no matter what. Right. That they're either there's a short life or something like a something bad will happen to them. And they're like, Oh my god, what's gonna happen? And or sorry, they're like, Oh no, Bethany's dead, like what's gonna happen? And then the Metatron is like wax on, wax off. And then he like does this weird point thing. Because he's explaining that basically God's about to save Bethany. So God does this like really cool thing with her hands and just heals Bethany. Bethany wakes up. And then I think this is actually where the outburst happens from Jay. Because then he's the one like pops up and freaks out. But it's okay. We've already discussed that part. So everyone's kind of looking at God. Bethany walks up to God and is thanking God for everything. And it seems as if she's finally kind of embraced her role as the last scion. And is like, you know, you probably get this all the time, but... You know, why are we here? And God just kind of looks at Bethany, goes, what? And <laughs> she like pokes her nose. She gives, gives her a boop. <laughs> and then just goes over there and starts. I, I don't know. I I think that would be probably the greatest honor of my life, to get a God boop from Alanis Morissette. Yeah, just boop. Like, I think uh, I think if I ever meet Alanis Morissette, uh, that's on my request. I'm like, can you give me a God boop? And then Atlantis is, or Atlantis, then God just starts kind of going in the corner. And just, <laughs> Atlantis. God. Atlantis, God, same Atlantis thing. God, same thing. It's, a, it's ironic, you know. <laughs> but, and she's here to remind us that she's going to do <laughs> oh somersaults in the corner. <laughs> he did not just do that. <laughs> what the fuck? So God's over there just doing somersaults. Everyone's kind of talking about everything. The Metatron is basically saying, you know, she did great. And... He's, you know, it seems as if right now they're going to get ready to say goodbye. And so everyone's getting ready to leave. Rufus and the Muse are going back up to heaven. Rufus says, you know, you know, you got to make them changes we've been talking about. And Metatron doesn't really say anything to that. But what's interesting is the Metatron's talking to Bethany. And she's like, you know, I got to, you know, I got to make the family proud. You know, I'm the last scion. And he's like, you were the last scion. Then he holds her stomach. And he's like, no, this is the last scion. Because now... She has been given the gift that she's been wanting her entire life. Because be the whole reason her husband had left her is because she couldn't bear children. Yeah. And now God has not only brought her back to life, but fixed her. Excuse me. Alanis has not only brought her back to life, but fixed her. Yeah. And he, you know, Metron turns, turns to Bethany. And he's like, I told you she was funny, wasn't she? And then Rufus is like, you know, she's, she's not really anything. She's not, she, she's not really anything. And then they kind of walk up there. They start to ascend. And then Bethany and Jay are kind of talking about everything and bethany says because jay's obviously he's just very rude i forgot what the fuck he says to her something about trying to bang her again yeah, something about banging her again she it, says you know she's like well you can't talk to me that way now i'm a mom or something like that yeah then he's like oh but you can have sex up to the third trimester and then that's the end of the movie <laughs> that's just the greatest thing ever this is such a great flick um and I, I, I hate to do this to our viewers, but uh, AJ, where can you even see this film? 
you can't actually see this movie really anywhere. It is extremely hard to find. The problem that comes into it is, like we mentioned earlier with Harvey Weinstein, because of the controversy surrounding him and just because of the kind of person that he is, he actually still owns the rights to Dogma. Kevin Smith is trying to buy this back from him so he can have his own intellectual property as well as make a sequel if possible. And Weinstein pretty much refuses. Like he is holding this hostage. And because of that fact, Kevin Smith doesn't want Weinstein to make any money from this. And I don't know if he has a hand in this or not, but a lot of these streaming platforms are refusing to play Dogma. And the only place you can see it right now that I know of is actually for free on YouTube. Oh, can you really? Yeah, you can watch it for free on YouTube. Interesting. Now, there is a lot to unpack with this movie. It, I mean, obviously, if you're watching this movie and you're expecting it to be something that is like a true take on Christianity and like a like a real word-for-word accurate depiction of the Bible, that's not what you're going to get. You are getting Kevin Smith being Kevin Smith, interpreting what he thinks would happen if two rogue angels kind of just needed to get back to heaven after being thrown out. I will say he definitely suspends. I mean, if we're looking at this from a religious perspective, he definitely has to suspend some things. Oh, like, yeah. um, obviously we're, you know, from whether we're talking about Catholic dogma or really any sort of, uh, Christian dogma, um, God is omnipotent, omniscient, 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 excuse me. And omni, uh, omnibenevolent. So this idea that God could be trapped in a, in a human body, it, 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 it couldn't happen. Uh, at least from that dogmatic perspective, um, the idea that something could undo God's will also not something that could even happen. So I, but I like that Kevin Smith played with that. This because I think Kevin Smith looked at it from the perspective of, well, if God has to send His Son to die in order to wash away sin from somebody who could have just snapped their fingers to do it, mm-hmm. then. Then we then we can play with this a little bit, and we can say there's other things that could potentially limit this deity in order to build a fairly fun narrative. And that's what this was. It was a fun narrative. And it's cool because it's like he's realizing that for God to have limitations, God's got to be kind of pigeonholed into certain things. One, God would have to be in the body of a human. That's the only way God would not be able to just snap his fingers, or her fingers, her fingers. And everything would be right. God cannot be proven wrong or the existence would end because that's just kind of how the universe is built. There are certain rules that even God has in this, which is very interesting when you think about it. I think you know, I think he's doing exactly what you have to do when you do, say, a uh, like a time travel movie. He set up the rules in the very beginning and he stuck to the rules. And there were a couple of rules we didn't learn about until a little bit later, but we also realize in retrospect in the film that the rules had always been followed up to that point. And I think that's where Kevin Smith really tends to shine in his films is um, if he's going to do something of a supernatural nature, even if it's like minutely supernatural, like with Jay and Silent Bob, how uh, Silent Bob almost seems to have some type of supernatural powers at times. He's always consistent with those rules and he establishes them early on to make sure that the rules are consistently followed. What I really like about at least the casting of God, just when we're talking about God, was that did you know Alanis Morissette was actually tapped to play Bethany? Really? Yeah. Did you tell me this already? I don't think so. Okay. In in the comments, uh, if if AJ already told me this, um, you lambast him for that. Well, how would I have already told you? Because I never mentioned who God was until <gasps> the end. Oh fuck! You're right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, 
Atlantis actually declined the role because she thought it was just too heavy. And then she just went to India for some reason. That sounds very Atlantis adjacent. Yeah, yeah that, that's, not, that's very Atlantis. But then when she got back, she reached out to Kevin to see if the part was still available, just kind of knowing that probably that wasn't the, the, the case. Now, the main casting had done was done. Like, everything had been casting aside from the role of God, which had been vacated by Emma Thompson. Oh, yeah. interesting. That would have been a pretty good, yeah. I, I yeah. could have seen Emma Thompson in that role. Yeah, she was recommended by um, Alan Rickman. Ah, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, they've always been close. Weren't they in, uh, what was it, um, Love Actually Love together? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then Alanis was God. And I, I like that they went with Alanis. I'd say in, in modern day, because at the time, Alanis was still pretty hot, but she was a little bit on her, her downward trend of, of being fairly popular musically. So I'd say... And when we say hot, he means like... Like hot in the charts. Yeah, in the charts. Yeah, I I should preface that. You're right. Uh, I mean, hot in the charts. Um, I'd say today, I I, I don't know, maybe like a Lizzo or Lady Gaga, maybe a little too uh, like far removed to kind of, you know, be a a fair comparison of where Alanis was at this time. Mm -hmm. So I'd say probably Lizzo, you know, because Lizzo's, you know, Lizzo's definitely been, you know, top uh, chart topper. Uh, doing her tour but she's definitely gone somewhat of a kind of on the on the back end slope of yeah. her of her peak uh popularity now that she's not still popular same thing with Alanis at the time Alanis was still very popular her music was still playing on the radio but she wasn't like the brand new uh hottest thing on the charts everybody was listening to her type of thing um it was more of her notoriety been established and now she was kind of still able to just keep on with that notoriety on that note uh before we uh close everything out i do want to say a heartfelt congratulations to aj and his fiance who oh have... you can say amanda like, oh am i allowed she, to say she, she, she would love to be be called amanda uh, the then show. i uh, a heartfelt and uh huge congratulations go out to aj and amanda who have officially uh decided to go ahead and chain themselves to each other in holy matrimony yeah um and uh the that will happen sometime in the future. But yeah, uh, congratulations to you both. I love you both. Uh, you two will will be an amazing uh, hubby and, and whiff. Well, congratulations to you too, because obviously, you know, the, I haven't officially asked him and I'm going to make a gift and all that good stuff. But Sean obviously will be my best man. So it'll, it'll, be, it'll be a toasty wedding. <laughs> <laughs> Am I going to have to get the tattoo? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, our music is created by Augusto Denise, Logo by Design World, mixing and editing by IPTT Studios. And special thanks to studio dog Joe the Boxer. And we want to hear from you in your own slice of toast. Tell us about the films that you think we and others should see, actors to showcase, or topics to discuss. You can reach us on Instagram at IPTT underscore podcast, email us directly at IPTTpodcast at gmail.com, or interact with us directly through the Spotify app. And if you ever find yourself on the edge of the apocalypse staring down two angels and the almighty Alanis Morissette wondering what the fuck happened to that guy's head, remember, you can always get more toast. Thanks for listening.